Do you need to do the intro thing or play it or? No, no. I think we're I think we're live. Booking confirmed. Episode three. Dennis and Christian back at it again in another one of uh, Christian, one of your short-term rental listings as we speak. How we doing? Good, man. Um, so we got a lot of great feedback over our first two episodes, uh, and then we, we kind of want to use this one as a, just a conversation about your origin story. The working title for this one is how you and your partner and your family went from a W-2 job and transitioned into financial freedom and going from one primary house to 15 listings in roughly a year. Is that right? Yeah. And so we will. We do have a general timeline of all the, the property and decisions because it wasn't just a straight shot. You bought properties, you co-invested, you sold properties, um, you partnered multiple times on multiple different uh, uh, projects along the way. Um, you had a, di- a definitely, uh, well, I would say, a dynamic journey of finding funds and funding and refinancing um, that kind of you meandered. Uh, through the process, but you, you ultimately accomplished your personal goal. But there was kind of a business goal and a personal goal I want to start with before we kind of jump in to the story. But, um, you know, there there was a lot of seasonality for where you were at and moving from kind of your, your, your day job. You had board members, you had donors, you had people you had to answer to. You, you had to be online and traveling around the world doing projects uh, to some fundamental shifts. The first the first property you bought as a primary residence, you, you just shared with me a little while ago that you thought it was your dream property. You actually bought it in the recession or uh, as, a, as a consequence of the 2008 recession. Is that right? Yeah. So just right after the global financial crisis, uh, real estate, uh, was, the market was depressed mm-hmm. and you know prices were down. And so coming out of that uh, in 2013, you know, up here in Redding, California, where we were looking... Um, I was buying my first house and looking for kind of, you know, a family house. Yep. Um, I, uh, my, uh, now wife and I were, you know, kind of looking at property, thinking about it. Um, and, um, you know, got into a deal that was a, uh, lease to own and, um, a really great, uh, uh contract, uh, bought it at a great price, but it was a four bedroom, two bath, you know, 2,200 square foot home with really cool living space, you know, kind of open concept, multiple like living room, you know, you know, study slash whiskey room is what I called it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rad backyard that was significantly overgrown, but I saw potential for it. Yeah. You know, amazing, like, you know, kind of cool terrace concepts and had a pool. And so when we bought that, it was like, I was like, yeah, this is a house I'm going to need for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, raise my family here, yep. live here forever. Like, I'm set. Like, almost saw that as, like, a form of, of, of financial independence. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I got this mortgage at a great interest rate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, got it for, you know, really great value yep. on what I was getting. And I'll remodel it myself. Yep. And I'll never need to move again. Yeah. And, and so you were kind of – we were, we're, we were adults at the same time, like – it was the first, you were the first friend I had that had a kind of a big kid house. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there was definitely work you guys were going to do. Um, and probably, you know, rental, uh, or, or maximizing the house, the potential for house hacking was probably somewhere inside of your head. Cause you already had roommates. So you're already down that path a little bit. 
Um, but you know, from a from a business perspective, you probably didn't go into that first primary residence as this is going to turn into the foundation of a burgeoning short-term rental operating business. No, not at all. I mean, we bought it and and pro and and at the time, um, you know, it was working for a nonprofit which I worked for for ten years, and was like, hey, I've got a. a, a not a huge salary here. Yep. I need to find something stable. And and we were looking at it like like this is an awesome house and this is a big investment, but let's find a way to offset some of this expense. Yeah. You know, some of the liability, which is why yeah, at first I had roommates that were paying the mortgage, but it was awesome. Mm -hmm. But then once, you know, Holly and I got married, we're like, "All right, you guys are all out." Yeah. But we're like, "Okay, how do we still make this work?" And and as I shared a little bit in episode 1, we tried a few things. Mm -hmm. The first thing we did is we rented out a couple, we rented out rooms. Yep. We had a four bedroom house. We were living in the master, but we still had three other rooms and yep. we didn't have any kids. So we, we rented out those rooms. We did it twice, had good experiences mm -hmm. with the guests, uh, but ultimately decided, Hey, that's not really for us. Yep. We'd rather rent out the whole house, yep. make more per night. Yep. Um, and, um, and then, you know, go somewhere else, yeah. you know? And, and so that was kind of the beginning of our, you know, house hacking yeah. where we were like, okay, let's, let's just travel more. We did travel quite a bit for our work. We were working for an international nonprofit. So we had to travel for work, which mm -hmm. created that. And we we're just like, well, we'll rent the house while we're work where we're traveling and yeah. our work's paying for our travel anyway. So now we're making money yep. without additional expenses, which was nice. Which was kind of one of the core themes, I think, of Booking Confirmed is turning liabilities into assets, which yeah. we covered a lot off in, in episode one. Um, going way back in your origin story, were you exposed to investment property? Like, did your family or did you have family that had, you know, vacation rentals? I know that you had, um, you know, your, your grandpa's, maybe his aunts and uncles had property, um, but what, what were you exposed to, you know, before there was a short-term rental operating uh, did you, it, was there in your history or in your family were you exposed to this idea of renting out residents that were in, in inside the the accessibility of your family? I mean, slightly. Um, you know, there like Airbnb wasn't super prominent. At, yeah. You know, you know until you know the early or mid you know 2010s. Yeah. You know, I don't even know when they first started exactly, yep. but. Um, yeah, it was just becoming really popular around then, and obviously the the short term rental market has been growing, you know, leaps and bounds year over year. Um, but yeah, prior to that, I mean, my, my family we only owned one home, yep. um, you know, growing up. It was a really nice home. Yep. But um, you know, my parents had a great home, but they didn't own multiple homes. We traveled. Yeah. And we did vacations where we just stayed in hotels, and that was how they vacationed. Um, you know, I have I had family that was really fortunate. Both sides of my grandparents had bought in um, uh, homes, cabins up in Lake Tahoe back in the 50s yeah. when it was still really cheap. And those are still in the family today. So we've gotten to use those. And one, one side of the family doesn't rent it out. But the other side of the family, um, for years, since I was a kid, they've been um, doing short-term rentals only in the summer. Yeah. Um, at that property and they rented out, you know, Friday to Friday. My uncle has actually managed it for a long time as my grandparents got older. Nice. Um, and, and they were doing this even before there was anything. And then I think they were using Verbo. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was usually the recurring families. Yeah. So there was like, you know, 12 families that would rent it like Friday to Friday, the cabin, and then they come back every year Nice. Okay. and just do it. And so there was that and that, like them doing that. And then each of us, the three families got to use it for like one week of the summer. Okay. 
Um, and that paid for the whole year Did you know, you- of all the expenses. So it was a nice way to kind of like hack it where you're like, hey, we'll rent it out for this season yeah, yeah. when there's high demand. Yeah. And then all winter we can use it. We can use it in the spring and fall swing seasons as much as we want. It was a great way to kind of offset all the expenses um, if there's just not a ton of extra money in the family to pay for something like that. I've heard you say that your you heard your dad as you were growing up and in college wanting to acquire a property in Tahoe or somewhere else, but specifically mm-hmm. in Tahoe was kind of the dream. And so you got exposed at least to hit some thinking around, hey, you know, my dad's looking, my that's one of his goals. Um, do you think that influenced the way that you kind of kind of prospect now, or is more so that was a, a kind of a family that Tahoe is a family value and a family home base, and and kind of adding to that equity in our family was more so just part of the tradition of the Taylors. Yeah, I mean Tahoe definitely has like always been like a second home for yeah. our family, and um, you know both sides of my family mm-hmm. have always have spent lots of time up there, and I, I you know I spent most of the summers of my childhood up there. Yeah. Um, and so I love it and to this day, and I've actually looked at property up there yeah. uh, personally for investments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, haven't, haven't pulled the trigger on anything, but, um, yeah, I mean, Tahoe has been a great vacation rental market. Um, you know, there's a ton of, uh, supply now and with, you know, kind of the advent of short-term rental channels, it's yeah. more challenging to make money up there. Um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's influenced me both ways. I mean, in one way. When I see like really properties that are just like a massive liability on someone's balance sheet, like knowing my, you know, at this point, my grandma owns one of the cabins, even though she, she owns it outright. Yeah. Property taxes. Uh, But just with property taxes, like it's an old cabin maintenance, like heating, Mm -hmm. um, like the whole thing's wood. So she's always getting, you know, decking repaired and wood repaired and stained and I mean, I know what that thing costs and I'm like, man, that's a massive liability. And I know what that thing could rent for. Yeah. And I'm like, sure. oh, you could offset this yeah. massive. Oh, yeah. But you have to, it's, you know, it's, it's something you have to be okay with, which is, you know, it's something we've kind of harped on yeah. in the first couple episodes is like, this is a mindset. Mm-hmm. You have to be okay with some inconvenience. Yep. You have to be like, there has to be enough of a pain point Yeah. almost. And I think this is a great way to kind of transition this, like, there has to be a why mm-hmm. to do short-term rentals. There's got to be a reason why you want to do it. And yeah. for me, the whole reason to do short-term rentals is about financial independence. Yep. It's about freedom. Mm-hmm. It's about owning my own time. Yeah. And 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 being and I, and and doing a bunch of work during in spurts, mm-hmm. but then largely once you get all that work done, which you do one time. Yeah. Now you're in maintenance mode. Yeah. And now like I'm financially independent. Yep. My time is my own. And yeah, I still work on my properties. I'm I'm cutting olive trees yesterday. Yeah. But like I'm enjoying it. I do it for like I did it for like two hours. And and it and it becomes if you're in the right mindset, therapeutic because all the hard work's already been done. Yeah. And I'm I'm maintaining and the time and money out equation is is very advantageous, right? To Absolutely. to your goals. Um, you know, you say kind of, there has to be a big enough pain. Usually there's a, uh, a problem, a reaction, a solution, but also that should, should pair with the vision that you have for your own life. You and Holly had, had goals. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious before we get into the timeline, 
you know, your, your family, I, I, I believe you're the only one in your family that is a full-time short-term rental operator. Is that right? Yeah. And when you left your quote unquote day job as a CEO and you started to just go and, you know, what buy, buy properties and you don't have a nine to five, you don't have a, a traditional structured day or structured week. Um, you don't report to anybody. I mean, how did your family, what was your family's reaction? Was there any kind of awkward conversations or perception of you? Because that's partly, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this is they're, they're willing to take a risk. They're willing to do a non-traditional lifestyle. Now it's becoming more of the norm to do short-term rental operating, but doing it full-time is a process. And you did it over the course of a really intense 12 months or so on purpose, right? Um, not mo- Most people don't do that, but was there, was there any perceptions that you had to address or did you find your, your family asking any curious questions about why you're doing this, how you're doing this? Why don't you have, why don't you have a regular job? Right. <laughs> yeah. I've always been slightly different in yeah. my family. Okay. And one thing that's been great, like my parents really pushed us to like follow your dreams. Yeah. Short term rentals are not my dream. Let me be clear. But it's an enabler. Yeah. So me, me running that nonprofit that I was running, we were working internationally. Like that was, that was the dream. Mm-hmm. That was a dream. And that was a fulfilling a dream. And, and it was a dream that didn't pay a lot of money yeah. to do. Yeah. And so I, I think overall, my family has been super excited to see us essentially become financially independent. And now I can do anything. Yeah. Um, and so it's a real like freeing situation, you know, for us. And, and, I don't know. And we haven't had like a deep conversation in it, but like, you know, just, just, we were all together earlier this summer and I was really shocked. My brother at one point was like, Hey, if, you know, if I sell this thing, I might give you part of that. Will you invest it for me in your stuff? Yeah. And I was like, Oh wow. Like that's kind of an awesome compliment Mm -hmm. that you've seen. Yeah. Been like seeing what we've done and been like, Hey, if I can get in on that action, I'd, That'd be awesome. Yep. And for, I mean, I wouldn't do that for many people, but for my own family, I definitely do it. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, that's even something where it's like, Hey, that's cool. I mean, he's, he's got a job that he loves. He's a you know basketball coach and is doing really well and making good money, but now he's got more money and he's like, where am I going to invest this? Yeah, yeah. Right. Which if you have a job that you love and you don't have time to go out and like do this, yeah. you know, you could put it in the stock market, you yeah. could put it in, you know, you, you could just, find a financial advisor and listen to them yep. or, you know, if your friend's got some good stock tip or yeah. idea, you know, and, 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 you know, and you don't know, but if you've actually seen somebody, you know, keep hitting something successfully yeah. and kind of carve out a niche, it's definitely an opportunity. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, at least in that respect, um, you know, I don't know exactly what they think. I mean, my family definitely just has, has this like work ethic thing. Like, yeah. Hey, you should be maximizing your time and, yeah. you know, um, and even like uh, purpose, yeah. like your life should be purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, like, like a lot of the purpose right now is like creating that freedom for our family to be doing things that we love and yeah. thrive and, yeah. and being thriving. Like for me, like physically, mm-hmm. like I've been spending, I spend a ton of my time now, like, training my body. I love mountaineering and ski mountaineering and skiing. And so I do a lot of training for that. And then even working more on like my own, like soul care and heart and like, like how do I thrive like spiritually and emotionally in my life? Yep. Um, that like, if you're just grinding, 
like that's the stuff that gets like pushed to the side yeah like at work all the time and like work is essentially like i know people love their work and there's a whole like world out there about like purpose and work and i'm all good with that yeah and i'm game for that but at the end of the day like work is is a transaction yeah to make money Mm -hmm. for you to spend that money on things you want to do it, it should be. It should not be a, a, ma- a maintenance to continue to stay in a grind that you will also I'll say it this way. Like, why, why are you, why would we continue to play a game? We don't care if we win. And, yeah. and, and our, and, straight, our, and everyone, and everyone's path to financial freedom is unique to them. Some of it, it's, it's a very strange, you know, strange to everyone else, but I'd say the route of becoming a short-term rental operator at scale, it's a very practical pathway. Yes. It's a very accessible, very understandable um, yeah, you need to ha- know. You need to know your area. You need to understand the opportunity. You need to do market intelligence. You need to understand what your ideal customer buy is and your ideal customer profile and who your renters are uh, before you can kind of go at scale. But I feel like your path to financial independence is is one that is very replicable, not just to your to you. You've been able to replicate it at scale, but other people in their own areas like that versus day trading on the stock market. Yes, you need potential less money a barrier of entry to, to day trade on the stock market. Yeah, you need to find your first uh, funding to to actually acquire a property in this path. But this one is it's so much. I'd say not less complicated, but mo- so much more understandable. There's a le- there's a le- there's a very easy language around. All right, what is a short term rental operating? How do I manage it? What are the logistics? We haven't got into the systems, the processes, the software, managing mm-hmm. crews. Like there's so much around the ecosystem that's still developing. There's now a whole startup tech scene to, oh, yeah. to address all these, all these issues that are coming up with how are people interfacing, interacting and what degree of comfort does the host have to interact with the guests and how do we receive feedback? There's, there's, you know, probably hundreds of, or now startups vying for this new niche that never existed before. Right. Mm-hmm. But your, your path to, to financial independence is, is yes, unique to you, but I would say that, you know, the, the conversations that, you know, you have of your, you know, people ask you, what are you doing next week? Are you, when are you, when are you free? And you say, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't really care because I kind of can do whatever I want. I'm, I'm semi, I free say I'm semi-retired, right? And semi-retirement yeah. is, is a mindset as well. Um, but you, you've leveraged short-term mental operating to create the, the story and path to freedom for you and your family and to set yourself up to do whatever you want, whenever you want to it within reason, obviously your systems will dictate how much time yeah. you have. Right. Yeah. Essentially I look at it when I say, I say I'm semi-retired. We have a friend who, who uh, years ago told us she was retiring yeah. and she was, you know, 35 or uh-huh. something like that. And we kind of laughed and thought it, thought it was funny. And I loved the line. I was like, yeah, I love that. I want to retire too. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and so now I, I, I say I'm semi-retired because I still work on our properties. But essentially what I do now is, is I do what I want to be doing. I am managing my family's wealth. Yes. So my personal family's wealth. Like We now have a certain amount of capital that we've built out, mm-hmm. built up. And my full-time job yeah. is to manage that wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's where it's currently deployed yeah. in different real estate assets that we have or other types of assets that we have. But that's essentially my full-time job is to manage it and grow it mm-hmm. and figure out new deals that we can do to 
um, make it more uh, profitable, make our return profitable. And it's not that you mentioned your dream as a as a younger man was to travel internationally, if, you know, affect change, create impact, um, do good, do good in the world, right? And it, yeah. and you continued on that path on the really in the act in the world of academics and earned your you know on your path to earning your doctorate. But it's not that that became less of a dream. That will always be available to you. You can always always go back to your doctorate, always back to traveling internationally, but your life circumstances change. You had, you know, two kids um, that were young and you had to change this idea of how do I, how do I change the way I, I travel and make money to fit my, the, the lifestyle I'm going into, not the lifestyle that I had as a younger man. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think we can transition before we transition to the timeline. Um, two things I, I wanted to you to touch on is, when it comes to short-term rental operating as your full-time job, um, talk to me about, you know, it is your full-time business and you've also used it to really still have a, a, infuse it with a lot of fun, personal fun, hobbies, passion projects, interests, trips with your family. Like you've, you've, you've leveraged it. Like it, it doesn't weigh on you like a 40, 50, 60 hour week, though some weeks you're probably putting in 50, 60 hours a week. Yep. If, if shit goes down, if AC breaks, if whatever, or there's a water main, I mean, there's a lot of circumstances that w- would require you to sink a week into your properties. But this idea of leveraging it as most people call it a lifestyle business, you know, you've, you've, you've still traveled a lot and you've still prioritized your values as a family and been able to do it and still go from one to 15 listings and become financially independent. So how much do you view your business as an empower to your personal personal and family goals versus a strict cash business. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think we love we love traveling. Yeah, um, and and uh, we even made a pivot um, over the last uh, in 2017. Uh, we ended up buying a van, uh, a, a large uh, Ford Transit high roof uh, long camper van, a commercial van, and, mm-hmm. and we updated it into. Uh, full sleeping, you know, kitchen, uh, living space. Um, and that actually enabled a lot of our travel. And so they kind of went together. So the short-term rental business was nice, especially early on when yep. we just had one home. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to make money on that home, we had to leave. Yep. We had to go do, we had to go somewhere. And yeah. So yeah, we could go to families' houses. Um, we could stay with friends. Um, you know, we got to go to Tahoe quite a bit, which was amazing whenever we could, it was available. Yeah. Um, you know, these cabins now have multiple, you know, three, four generations using them. So, you know, we got to share them, you know, within the family, but, um, we do that. But then we'd also, we bought our own essential portable mobile home. Yeah. Uh, in our, in our van that we upfitted. And so this actually enabled us and and we, these are the kind of things we want to do. You know, we love as a family to go hiking. Uh, my wife and I do a lot of mountaineering. We do a lot of skiing. And so this was a full season van that yeah. allowed us to travel the country. We live in Northern California and, you know, the entire West that yeah. we live in, the Western United States, yep. is just epic terrain. Yeah. Some of the most beautiful places in the world. Yep. You know, within driving distance mm-hmm. from us. It, it also acts as a very good work van. As well, it does to transport lumber and people. <laughs> it, it is funny <laughs> when I first built it out. Yeah. I, I would have done a couple things different had I known. Yeah, 
Um, cause I go, I bought this van before we jumped in full time into, you know, I've remodeled 15 units. So you bought it bef- even before you transitioned your three car garage at your first property into ADU, right? Yeah. I bought it in 2017 and yeah. we didn't start that, that first con- uh, conversion until COVID. Yeah. Which was basically April, May of, you know, we started like right after COVID started in like March of 2020 when it hit the U S. Yep. Um, I was on a ski trip. We were on a ski trip in our van. We were in Jackson Hole. And I remember I was on like a gondola and there were some guys talking about COVID. Yeah. And I had never heard of it. And and they're like, yeah, my boss got it. There are some guys who worked in New York. Yeah. I'm like, what's, what's going on? And then and then we're like, there was this epic snow in Lake Tahoe. And um, it ended up, you know, for those of you who remember, you know, who were there, like <laughs> this was like one of the best snows ever. It was like four feet dumped and. So I called my dad. I'm like, um, we're going to drive home tonight. Like we got off the lift. I'm like, we're driving right now. Meet me tomorrow. Yeah. We're going to Alpine, you know? Yeah. And so we drove all the way back um, that night. And I think that was like a Friday. Me and my dad had like probably one of the best ski days I've ever had. Nice. Just like amazing powder. We hammered Alpine all day. And we were going to go back Saturday. Um, and um, that's when they ended up closing everything. They shut everything down. Um, I had some buddies actually driving up from Reading, like oh, yeah. stuck in traffic. They ended up having to just turn around and go back because they shut down everything. Um, and yeah, we went home to Reading. Yeah. And basically, um, I was in you know research phase for my PhD, which I needed to travel to Yemen to do. So that was the you know mm-hmm. the university shut that down. My work we traveled internationally and did you know water and humanitarian. Uh, work and um, that was all shut down. Yeah, and so me and my wife were like, uh, and both me and my wife were working for the nonprofit. Um, we're like, well, what are we going to do? Yeah, yeah, you know. And that was that. That is the the beginning of uh, the the short term rental operating journey. And and I'd also say too, like this idea, a, a tale of two crises, or, or which means you you were able to buy your first your first property, your first primary residence after the 2008 recession. So there was a big dip, which dips are a great opportunity if you're, if you're positioned for them. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're able to buy, I don't know, you know what, 22, I don't know how big your house was, but it was a, like a square feet. yeah, it was a four bedroom, three car garage, a uh, very nice place for a great price at a great interest rate that kind of gave you a, a home base and mm-hmm. you started the house hacking journey. And so fast forward from whenever you bought it, 2009, 10, right in there. No, I bought it in 2013. In 2013. And so the, you coming off the tails of one recession or crisis, you were able to buy your first, you know, primary house. And at the beginning of the next major crisis of our lifetime, you pivoted and asked yourself, what, what are we actually going to do? Because we don't know if, if there's not the nonprofit's going to be able to be sustainable. We don't know what's going to happen yeah. with our donors. We don't know what's going to happen with a lot of things. How do we take control over the controllables in our life? And what are, what are the assets we have access to? Uh, to go ahead and optimize. And I really, I feel like your journey starts with thinking about not buying another property. Uh, it really was, what do I have access to now? Um, mm-hmm. And going from which we can jump into the timeline um, of where, where does one start uh, based off of where they have. And so your origin story, you, and, and another thing to call out, you've always lived, regardless of how many units you've had, You've always lived in one of one of your units, the, well, the one the one that made the most sense to leverage. And usually, usually, you know, over the course of that timeline, it, it was downsizing. It was getting smaller, more compact, 
um, coming more, less and less comfortable versus more and more comfortable with the goal to stay on track of the vision of getting financially independent, right? Yeah, and, and it wasn't the case at first. Like when we when we first started, um, you know, at the beginning of COVID, um, we had, like you said, you know, what do we have? Well, we have this 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 great home we live in. Uh, we now have two daughters. We love this home. Happy to be here. It's a great. It was a great COVID house. Yeah, because we you know had had built out the backyard. So especially those early weeks, those first couple of weeks when it was. Uh, what was it? Flatten the curve. Yeah, yeah. That was the goal. Yeah. So we thought we were just going to be at this for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a month and then go back to our lives. Yeah. And um, um, so it was a great COVID house. And then, you know, it started to become just, hey, we're just going to be in this for, for a while. Yeah. Um, and so we had this three car garage, which which we were using it. But, you know, I was like, there's there's a better way to utilize this. Which which uh, I just want to make sure the timeline is is correct here. Did you do that co-investing with a friend before you built out the three car garage? Yeah. So so even backing up before this big short term rental yep. dive started for us in 2020, this is not that was not like our first experience. So. Yep. You know, as we discussed, we bought our first home in in 2013, and um, you know, did house hacking with it. Yeah. Essentially, at whenever we traveled, mm-hmm. we rented that out, and yeah. we still we've done that you know consistently over the years. Um, and then there was a couple other things we did in there. Um, a couple years later, we ended up buying a a property because um, we saw like you know we could do really well in the short term rental market with yeah. our own personal house so we bought another house similar it was like a 3 2 with a pool um but a really great price and kind of a less desirable neighborhood but still a really nice neighborhood mm-hmm. i bought that with a friend and we remodeled it um and then we rented that out on a short term basis and did really well mm-hmm. we did really well with it um and then we were moving to dc and um um, so we ended up selling our share uh, to him mm-hmm. and then he ended up selling it to another guy. Yep. But um, we sold our share back to him because um, we were, we were kind of like, yeah, you know, this is great and everything, but um, you know, great to kind of like, you know, get uh, certain requirements that we have and, you know, ownership requirements off the table when we were, we moved to DC for, to work on my master's degree yeah. and then a PhD um, in the work that I was doing internationally. And you, so you, you've now co-invested three different times in your in your journey over the last couple of years. Yeah, right. Yeah, and each different different circumstances. Yeah, um, and I don't know. I don't think this is the episode to go into kind of preconceived ideas versus lesson learned and co-investing. That might that's probably yeah. I'd another. say that's another episode for yeah. sure. But but the fact is that you were open, it, it, whether it's access to capital, beer of entry, or just a fun project that you saw an opportunity in that you had a, a good enough trust level with our friend to go ahead and, and, and move on. Um, you took advantage of what you thought was some opportunities that you had access to. Yeah. At that point I'd done some short term rental with my own property. So mm-hmm. I had more of an expertise in it and he brought more capital to the deal Yep, and we ended up doing it together. Um, uh, so then when we moved to DC, we lived in an apartment for the first year and we're just paying an arm and a leg yeah. for an apartment in DC and then when we knew we were going to be there at least two more years, I ended up buying a home. Um, you know, I spent a lot, I spent a chunk, we spent a lot of time, like what we love to do in DC was just walk. Yep. Um, so like daily, definitely on the weekends, you know, Holly and I and the kids would just like get the stroller out, like yeah. walk the streets, walk the mall, walk the different neighborhoods and boroughs, mm-hmm. like really got to know the city 
I fell in love with it and re- really love DC. It's an amazing city. And I rode my bike a ton yep. all around. I drove streets too that were further out. Uh, but we ended up buying a, a home that was a, a two-story home, like the townhouses. A lot of DC homes are townhouses. And they have these above ground, semi-above grade basements. Yeah. And so this one had that. Um, and our plan was we were going to live in the top floor, uh, which was about like 700 square feet. And then rent out like the 700 square foot semi-above grade basement. Yeah. And my goal with that was just to essentially break even, which we did. Yeah. So basically over the course of those two years, from the time of buying it to the time of selling it, when we left DC, we basically lived for free. Yep. And we had to manage a short-term rental, but we lived for free. And there was, you know, pros and cons to that. Yep. You know, uh, we can get into horror stories of renters, Soon. you know, over time and yep. fun, funny things that happen. Uh, but but we essentially were able to live for free. And so it's kind of another form of house hacking, yeah. essentially, where you live in, in part of your home and rent out the other part of your home with a separate entrance. Yep. You know, this one obviously shared a, uh, the ceiling so they could hear us walking around up yeah. there, which, you know, reduced the desirability of it uh-huh. slightly, but you can still rent it for totally. a certain price. And you had your van before you left to DC, is that right? No, we actually bought it at the end of our DC days. Got it. Um, out there in Virginia, okay. I bought it uh, from a dealership. Um, and um, it, within our last year there, we bought it and then upfitted it. Um, so yeah, so then we, we, we bought the van, upfitted it, sold the DC house and moved back to California. Um, and this must have been in like 2018. Yep. And um, so then we're back to mm-hmm. just having our home that we had here, the same one we bought in 2014. And now we had our, a van as well. So uh, at this point, you've, you've gone, you know, this is before the kind of the 12-month sprint that you guys went into. And so yeah. you had a couple years of really dabbling in what is house hacking, how private do we want to be, how private are we as, as a family, how much do we want to share walls, how much do we mm-hmm. want to share space. And so you went from one to two houses, sold your property, went to went from one to two houses in DC, sold that property and bought a van. And then, you, you know, you told me when you came back to Reading, you kind of had a reality check, right? And, and you know, you were back in your single family home. Um, and then, you know, that's, this was before COVID hit because COVID was the, the pivot, the, bit, the shift, you know, the left turn or right turn or whatever you want to call it um, to this idea of getting getting a different vision. I'm not going to say a bigger vision than you had for your life, but getting a different, locking onto a, a different vision for your life. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. When we came back from DC and we sold that one and there's, there's, there, I would say there's more challenges with doing a show you're living in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and because you're interacting yeah. with your guests and yeah. most guests are great and they're, you know, fantastic. I would say, you know, 85 to 90% of guests are great. But there's, you know, depending on your listing and depending on how strict you are, mm-hmm. um, you know, with your rules, like you can get some bad guests. Yeah. Even if you're super strict, you're yep. going to get some bad guests. For sure. And so there's just some pain points with that. And especially with, um, you know, we had a shared ceiling, you know, Holly was, you know, had a hard time with like, she wanted to keep the kids super quiet, especially early in the morning. We had little kids. Yeah. But they were up like playing, running around yeah, like yeah. little kids shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, Let them go. Like, who yeah. cares? She's like. Oh, we have the guests, you know. And so there was kind of always this thing, kind of walking on eggshells a Uh little bit. Um, You know, there was issues with that one, like the, you know, whenever, like often the guests, not often, but when the guests broke our rules and like smoked weed in our listing, they would come up 
like through the ventilation <laughs> into our upstairs. Oh, yeah. and, like yeah. our whole upstairs would be like semi hot box, Thanks. you know. Yeah. And I have to go down there and be like, hey, there's no smoking weed. Like, I got kids up here. Like, what are you doing? You Bring know? your kids with you. Hey, this is my, this is my dog. Yeah. My kid. But it just, like, there was just some pain points with yeah. it that was like, man, that's, it, we can do it. Yeah. And we did it. But is it ideal? Yeah. No. And so we just kind of said, hey, we don't want to, we don't want to do that. I mean, interestingly enough, we had, we did go back to doing another unit. Yeah. Yeah. They did share a wall later yeah. on. Yeah. So, um, we've still done it. And we live in a house now today that is a detached unit, mm-hmm. but you know, we share the backyard in the pool yeah. with guests. So we, but we definitely kind of had this point where we were like a little bit like, and this happens to short-term rental operators. Like this is really important to like, know, like you're going to have some bad experiences, Yeah, you know, like there's going to be some bad stuff. You know, there's going to be guests that just piss you off but you're signing up for the whole process and if you're not taking that consideration and counting the costs and so what, what's the minimal amount of investment needed to be successful it's counting the cost not just inconvenience but like you said like you said earlier it's, it's always harder to be a short-term rental operator in a property that you actually live in that you're sharing something with i say the same thing in more traditional investing in real estate that i come from is it's always going to be harder to live in a house that's under construction and dealing with the contractors oh, yeah same same deal Except you're changing the mentality of why are we doing it and what's it for, right? Yeah, and and, and but at the end of the day, like, income on this, let's actually bump the price up. Yeah. So maybe we reduce our occupancy slightly, so we get, you know, half the nights of the month rented, um, but at a higher price point. So we're still making good money. Yeah. But we have the house to ourselves. Yep. Half the month. Yeah. You know, would that be worth it? You know, and that's a that's a decision we'll have to make if it's financially viable and we're willing to give up some of that income. Then you know, for a lifestyle decision, that's a decision we can make whenever. And you can turn that on and turn it off well, that, super easily and, with short term rentals. And that depends on on your partner. It depends on what your expectation. You you guys were so convicted or convinced in the overall goal of we need to get financially free as fast as possible. And we've got we got some momentum on the short-term rental thing. Let's actually inconvenience ourselves. I think on the last episode we talked about you buying uh, a couple properties that were either under construction or semi-finished, and then you buying a, a house on a street that was under construction that was going to be totally torn apart. And uh, and and uh, you guys moving into the smaller and smaller units, mm-hmm. uh, all the way down to you know. A, I don't know what the ADU is on uh, on on middle, but it's on uh, Center Street. On Center Street, yeah. We almost moved into. How, how, what's the square footage on that? It's like three thirty eight. So so three hundred thirty eight square feet is not a lot for four humans to share. <laughs> that being said, your lifestyle and the fact that you've already experienced van life and you, four humans have shared. 50 square feet, right? And done it comfortably and manageably, right? But ultimately, your the, the your capacity to be inconvenience was was always held in tension with yeah the faster the more we can leverage the faster we can be financially independent right yeah but not everyone's partner partners are going to sign up for that not everyone's kids are going to be set up to 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 kind of sign on for that so everyone's life circumstances are different if someone has to buy a short-term rental um, and buy it as a secondary investment property and put 20% down and front all the renovations themselves, it's going to look a lot different than your story, right? Yeah. Yeah. You obviously need a little more access to capital, yep. but that's a way to do it. Yep. And we talked, we've talked a little bit about some of the different modes of doing it. 
um, yeah, our story is unique to us. Um, and originally it was kind of, you know, house hacking our way through. We did get a, a, an independent investment that did really well um, here in Reading. And then, you know, ultimately, um, you know, COVID was one of the big, like, changing points for us. Yeah. Um, so let's so let's go jump back in the timeline. So you 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 started with COVID, and your first expansion strategy was to turn your primary residence with a three car garage into a primary residence with a two car garage and an ADU. Yeah. So at the beginning of 2020, um, California uh, put in some new code. Um, uh, it, in terms, they already had code around what was called uh, it's called an accessory dwelling unit. Uh, the acronym is ADU. Um, and, but the code changed in 2020 slightly um, to being, it used to be prior to that, if you converted part of your garage into living space, then you had to replace that covered garage. You basically have to buy a, build a new garage. So yep. it kind of made it pointless. Yeah. Um, however, they changed the code because we have a housing shortage mm-hmm. in California. So they're trying to promote more housing. Yep. Um, they changed the code to say, if you convert part of your garage into an accessory dwelling unit, you do not have to replace it with covered parking. Which sounds like a very small change in the code. It is, but it's massive because, and the reason is, if you have to go build a new structure Mm -hmm. on your property as an ADU, which is what you needed to do prior to this, 2020, it's going to cost you minimum $100,000. Yeah, you're going to tank your your ROI for years. Yeah, so it's going to cost you a minimum $100,000. So it's just a, a lot larger of a barrier to entry. And when you say convert, you're actually talking about conditioning um, conditioning to internal livable space, which which does involve permitting. I've had house, I've hacked house, hack, house hacked houses. Don't say that. House hacked houses where I, I did convert the garage, didn't permit it, didn't zone it. It still functioned very well as a long-term student rental. So just expand the space. But the California code was if you're going to recondition or convert, you have to get it zoned and permit it accordingly. And if you do that, you also then don't have to replace the the garage. Yeah. So you can, I mean, you can, and people do and have, um, you know, added square footage Mm -hmm. to their home or, you know, converted their garage into living space without permits. However, it's not permitted. Mm -hmm. So when you go on the MLS and you you try to sell it, so it's not, it's not, um, it's not been recorded with the assessor's office in your county. Yep. So when you go to sell it, that is not permitted additional square footage living space. Yeah. You can't sell it. You, you didn't go from 2,000 to 2,500. <laughs> it's still a 2,000 square foot yeah. with a hacked in 500 square foot studio. It, so is it usable? Can it be beautiful and awesome? Absolutely. Yeah. But it's not permitted. And actually the city or county can and often does, if they find out about it, yeah. require you to rip it out. Totally. Yeah. yeah um, there, is, there is some liability there for sure. Oh, Absolutely. I- I'm not recommending that, by the way. It came with the house, so I used it. It's a disclaimer on my part. Uh, you know, there's there's a saying that it, it's compatible but not compliant. Like, buy, buy or be will. You know, invest at your own risk, right? This is yeah. not, this is not a financial podcast at, at all. But leveraging what you have. Yeah, and there's if you're if you're just remodeling existing living space, there's yeah. certain things your city or county may require you to get permits for. Those you can kind of fudge a little more. Yeah, but if you're adding, yep things like if you're adding a new bathroom yep or if you're adding you know trying to convert your garage into i would always recommend getting that permitted because if you're putting all that money in 
you want to get that recorded so you've actually added square footage to your home because on the front, if you're going to do what we did where you're playing a financing game mm-hmm. where you're doing HELOCs and refis to help raise more capital, yeah. you're going to need that as permitted living space in yep. order to raise the value of your property. Now, that, that works the best when you're doing kind of a burr strategy. Mm-hmm. When it comes for, to a resale strategy, depending on where you're at, this idea of accessory dwelling units, they might be per- permissible by your local city or county. But if you're doing it from a resale, like a flipping mentality, ass- assessing it is still hit and miss because there's really no precedent for it in most parts of, of the country. And also to the square footage, if you call it an ADU, which I'm finding out now from a resale perspective, if you call it an ADU and it has a delineation, that square footage is not counted on the primary residence of the house. So yeah. what I'm doing now is I'm converting part of my 2,300 square foot house, adding adding a, a, a general living area and a bathroom and taking up one of the bedrooms away from the house. So my primary residence is actually losing square footage. On paper, if I was to go to resell it, but it also has an accessory dwelling unit. But if the accessory dwelling unit, uh, if the assessors don't have a a really good way to assess it, you probably are not going to get the maximum return that you could have as as opposed to if you just added square footage to your house without the ADU. Yeah. So this is a great segue into the first thing that I did. I converted uh, a... a bay and a half yep. of my three car garage into an accessory dwelling unit. I think it was like 273 square feet or something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. One bedroom, one bath. Studio, yeah. A studio. So it was permitted. And so all in all, it cost me about $35,000 to do. And you manage it yourself? Yeah. Okay. Um, but the reason it's cheaper is because it already had a roof. Yep. It already had two walls. I had to take out the garage door and frame in a door mm-hmm. in a window there. And then I had to add another wall to split it. If you just convert the entire garage, all you have to do is frame in the front one, which I did for another unit. Yep. So you've already got... And, and one thing you're looking for here, it has to be seismically engineered. Yep. So if you've got some janky old shed style garage yeah. on some old house built in like the 1920s, it's probably not going to work. They're going to make you tear that thing down. Yeah. So like one of the interesting things like later on in my journey, once I started like getting into the ADU game. You know, like when I was shopping for homes, like I just go look at ADUs first yeah. and foremost. Garage, I'm like going in the garage. The garage. Like, show me the yeah. dirty, show uh-huh. me the garage. You yeah. know? So, um, so yeah, once I converted it, which yeah, there's, there's a, there's a story there. And I think we'll go in a little bit more deeper to like managing projects mm-hmm. in another episode. Cause yeah. that could take a long time. Yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, I ended up managing all the subs myself. And so I was the owner builder on the permit. Yep. So I went down to the, the city got an ADU permit. Uh, a friend of mine's actually a drafter on the side, so he drafted it. Uh, he's a contractor too, so he kind of helped me find some of my first subs. Um, and um, we got the thing built and finished it out. And um, um, and then I went. So originally, so kind of just to touch on a couple financing things in here, we can yep. go into this more in another episode. But um, in order to get the cash to do it. So I had built up a bunch of equity in, in your, my home yeah, because I'd owned it since 2013. So you had six, seven years of equity. Of equity. Yep. And so I ended up doing what's called a HELOC, mm-hmm. a home equity line of credit, which is essentially a second note. Um, so I still had my primary mortgage, but there was enough equity in there where this other bank would lend up to, I think it was 85% yep. loan the value. Mm-hmm. 
And so I was able to pull out in a HELOC, um, I think about 50,000. Did you have any other lines of credit, personal lines of credit at that time, no. living on your van or? Okay. No, right. I own those outright. Okay. Um, so I ended up pull up about 50,000. So it's, 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 it's backed by your home. Yep. Um, and these, the, I've done HELOCs with a local bank mm -hmm. here. And, and if you go talk to like your local banks, um, they'll have applica applications they can work with. One of the things that I will say today, as interest rates are going up, these HELOCs that I've done, most of them, I do have one that's different, are variable rate, mm -hmm. variable interest rates, yep. which means they go up every month if the interest rate as goes up. It goes up and down. Yeah. So they're like prime plus 1.5 or something like that. So I've seen my interest rate go from like four to like now, like six and a half, seven, seven at the moment because interest rates are going up. Pay them off. So yeah, now I'm, I'm right now I've got, yeah, yeah. I've got one of them, the balance at zero and the yeah. other one, all my extra cash I'm dumping into it. Well, it's interesting access to capital, especially going from zero to one. Cause I feel like there's critical points in the short term rental operating game and going from zero to one is a big hurdle going from hopefully turning that one door into two without a, a, a separate purchase. What would be ideal like you did, uh, but access to capital that we've been exposed to is, of course, key locks, personal lines of credit, depending on your credit union or banks. So yeah, I you get know, one of those. So I, got, yeah. I have a fifty thousand dollar P lock. Yep. Um, also, too, you can get a, 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 a I think a, I don't know if it's a C lock, but you can get a lock on your car, right? And so hmm. my brother, my brother is, you know, depending on the the age and value of your car, the equity in your car, some credit unions will lend five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars against the value of your car if you or truck or whatever if you own it outright. So so there's pockets of money out there that uh, are available to you so so that to say like you don't have to have $100,000 cash necessarily um, depending on your credit and your circumstances like it is accessible depending on on how how big of a bite you're looking to bite off in the short-term rent rental game or the conversion game cuz you really got into the conversion game before the short-term rental operating game cuz did you know when you built out the garage was it always your intention to do short term? No, this was just literally, hey, we're in COVID right now. I can't work my other job. I can't work on my PhD. Like, I might as well create another side hustle for us to make a little bit more money. Yeah. And so that's all it was at first. There yeah. was no goal of financial independence. We thought we were just doing this for a couple months. Yeah, yeah. And so when we converted it, we, you know, like I said, we did the HELOC first, got got the cash finished it. And then in order to get more cash, um, I did a refi. So before that, how long from start to finish did it take you to convert your three car garage into a studio? It wasn't long. It was like three months, three months. And so did you set out a, a goal for yourself of three months or you say, hey, I'm going to bust this every day, long days yeah. as, as fast as I can. No, I just pushed it. Okay. So I pushed it hard. I'm, I'm kind of the guy like I like getting things checked off my list yeah. and I like getting things done. And so I just hammered it hard. So I hired guys that could jump on it. Yep. If they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a couple weeks out. I'm like, all right, I'll find somebody else. Yeah. Like, so I hired guys who could come, you know, if somebody couldn't come, I had somebody else over there. I did a lot of work myself. Um, so it, they were always moving, always being worked on. Um, cause I was grinding. I was trying to get this thing done. And like the quicker I could get this thing rented. Yeah. You know, I'm losing, you know, essentially uh, potential income every month that's just sitting there. And and fast forward to today, uh, how much does that unit make a month? Um, the unit makes, uh, it fluctuates slightly, but anywhere between like 
1400 to 22, 2300 so a month. So, so, you know, t- basically two grand a month. You knew, you know, you didn't know. Yeah, it's kind of settled in. I mean, in the market shifting here, there's a lot more units online today than there was. So I probably settle in right around like seventeen, eighteen hundred. Yeah, is but it's at but, now. But it's a cost. It's a it's a time in. Oh, money it out, was right? like, it's an opportunity cost, right? And you knew it. Yeah, this this thing was a you know eighty user killer investment because even if you're putting in cash, which I did, um, you can make your money back. Yeah. In two years or less. Yeah. And so where, where you know there's not too many places. You're not you're not adding a new mortgage. You're yeah. not uh, you know you're not you're not buying a new home. You already own the property. Yeah. Um, and so it's a way to like really maximize cash flow on just mm-hmm. maximizing the use of of existing square footage that you have. If you're doing a garage conversion, yep. You might inconvenience yourself a little bit if yeah. you use the whole garage, you know, or if you use part of it. So um, so you're but you're you're stylistic. Like I'm sure there's some people listening. They're like, well, I could never. I can never manage my own renovation and get it done in three months. Like there's a, there's a certain amount of self-confidence you had as a driver. Just be like, no, I I can get shit done. If I want to get it done, I'm willing to press as hard as I need to, to make it happen. I'm sure there's people listening being like, I have a day job. I have these responsibilities that, that, you know, cause you, you, you actually volunteered to be a full-time project manager for your own build and make sure shit got continue to check, check off. And, And can everyone do that? No. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think if you've got, you know, and and at some point you can tell your own story, Mm -hmm. you know, of of what that's looked like for Mm -hmm. you on your personal home. Yep. And some of the pros and cons of that, because you have a different job Mm -hmm. and you hired a contractor. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I would say as an owner builder, I think you can do it as an owner builder. Yeah. You know, if you have the right contacts, you're basically making calls, Mm -hmm. getting people in there. And you can just not do a lot of the work yourself yeah. if you're if you have your other job. So you're just finding subs. Yeah. You know, if, if you got to frame in walls, you got to find go find a framer. Yep. You know, and then if you've got if you know you got to wire up electrical, you got to find an electrician. Yeah. To do that, you know, if you got to add or move. So Josh got drafted for me and then he drew up all the plans and then I just took the plans to the city yeah. here. You know? So you outsourced the actual work and you just were the front person. I just made you were the connector, right? Yeah. And I did some of the work. Yeah. You know, honestly, what I've learned a lot through this project is the work that I did was the shitty stuff. Yeah, that's right. No. You know, I'm, I'm not, this isn't my trade. I did it the whole and off of crap. Well, yeah, I'm great. Yeah, I demo. Yeah. I crush yeah. yeah. You know? Um, you know, and you can do stuff, and it's kind of up to you. Like, actually, the further I've gone in my journey, the less I do. Which is interesting. It's probably wise. It's probably a wise mind decision to actually know what I'm good at. Also, to economy of scale, being the uh, the operator, a high level executive of the organization, like the first time you were running some life, and I'm sure you learned a lot about trade. I'm sure. I'm sure you learned a lot. A lot. I mean, I remember there was like two months there where you could not stop, stop talking about pouring concrete countertops. Oh my God. And I'm like, I, I know countertops. There's a couple that don't, but almost all. But I mean, it's low cost, looks great in your aesthetic. Like you, you found yeah. things that worked and were, were, were able to replicate it. So, so the, the your first primary house went into a house plus an ADU. You got a HELOC to do it, and then you, and the next step was you need to to free up capital to go do it again. Yeah, and so as you mentioned the ADU, what I learned there when the, when I got the appraisal is I thought. 
you know, and everybody thought this new ADU concept, right? was like, oh, I just added 273 yeah. or whatever it was, yeah. square feet to my house. No, you didn't. Um, and, I, and so they said ADU is just considered an addition, kind of like a pool. Hmm. And so they just fixed the appraiser. The first time I got it appraised, only gave it a value of $20,000. And how, what was your all-in cost to build it? 35. Okay, and I'm like, this is, yeah, yeah. this is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I put $35,000 into this. I added a kitchen, yeah. a full kitchen, mm-hmm. a full bathroom, yeah. a full bedroom, yeah. a living room, mm-hmm. all separate entrance. And you're only giving me $20,000 of value. And part of that's the maturity of the market, right? Which so, will, will change. Yeah, I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah. And and what I've learned about this over time is when it's a new concept like an ADU, it, there is there is caveats to it. Yeah. So the reason you can't just look at it as, as permitted living space is you can't do anything you want with it. ADUs in California actually have a 30-day rental restriction on them. Yeah. You can't short-term rent. You can't legally short-term rent ADUs because the goal of the ADU was to address the housing crisis in California, long-term housing crisis. Yeah. So they don't want people doing ADUs, getting all these permit breaks, yep. and then just going and short-term renting them all. Yeah, for sure. You know, because that doesn't help Californians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you can only long-term rent it. So part of that is, and so it was only $20,000 at first, but I've already seen it go up significantly yeah. because what they, the appraiser said, and this is starting to happen, what they need to see is comps. Yep. They need homes with ADUs to sell at above market value and yeah. people pay 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars above yeah. market value mm-hmm. for that home what it yeah. comps at because it has an ADU which which it will be worth the people to pay but it'll be worth more if you keep it for 10 years. Yeah. So so that's yeah, yeah. if you trying to flip it yeah. it's not a flip it's not a flip play. We're not we're, we're not doing a, a podcast on how to flip. No, properties. and I'm not a flipper. Yeah. Um and intentionally not because I I I've seen through the projects that I've done early on like hey, it's an incredible amount of work. Yeah. that goes into these things. Yeah. Like it's a lot of work and I'm not in construction by trade. Yeah. nor do I want to be. So if I'm going to put all this work into this I'm not doing this for one payday. I'm doing this for financial independence, yeah. which was my goal. Yep. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Originally, it was like, I want this thing to just pay me indefinitely. Yeah. You sure. know? Mm-hmm. And so that's what the, that's what the garage conversion was. Um, so, so you, uh, how did, so you went from one to two in the same, on the same property and you've done this multiple times. I feel like it's one of your, big short-term rental operating hacks is turning one door into to two or more. Yeah. Maximizing the property you've already bought. And so you, uh, if I could put, if I could put more on single families, I would, I mean, I, think, I was just looking at, Oh, there's a new, there's I've, a new thing now. Yeah. Dude, if you're, if you're a first time home buyer, I've got the ticket for you. There's a new ADU code that came out. It, uh, uh, it's the SB code in California. You can now, I can't do it anymore. But if you're, if you're a first time home buyer, you buy a property, Right, you put an ADU on the property. Yep. Then they will let you subdivide Ooh. that property and add an ADU onto each one of the other ones. So you can turn one door into four. Into four. The only caveat is you have to sign an addendum that says you will live on the property for a certain amount of time. Interesting, but that's a density play. It's a density. It's California that's trying to up their density that's play. Awesome. And so, any single family home in California, just a first time home buyer. No, 
No, anyone. Any, as long as you're willing to live on the property. Interesting. The problem is now I've now moved in. We, I've now my wife's wife has now tasted the good life. Well, we haven't got to you know. Yeah. You, you 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 know you you can share about your. We're not life. moving back. You're not moving back. <laughs> no. But I mean, I pitched you and our other friends like, hey, I think you have enough property to park an airstream and rent it. We can put a tiny house on this property. You know, well, hey, you have a van. Like you, yeah. Like there's oh, there's uh, all kinds of places. We, yeah. we we've we've talked through a, a number of different options of how to maximize the the you know the assets that we have now. Of course. Where we live, it's 110 degrees today, and we have to solve for different you know problems for our renters or our guests. Um, but you went from one to two, and then going from two to three, uh, what was after you renovated that? Uh, you you to free up the cash, you refinanced, and you also had a little bit of a break with the sale of uh, of a, a family investment, right? So how I want so on that note. How, how much of short-term rental operating really access to capital is the enabler of that? You know, how many breaks do you feel like you need a you need to wait for a break to happen? Do you feel like you need a little, little bit of luck? Um, because going from zero to one is a big hurdle, but I feel like you did have a specific break on your second major property, which kind of helped you explode and scale after Butte, right? Yeah, to do it the way I did it, you do need some access to capital. Yeah. Um, so I owned a home first, yep. which had built up equity. Mm-hmm. So there was capital that was built up over that time. So I needed that time for that to happen, yeah. that appreciation to happen to get access so I could get a HELOC. Yep. You know, and then I could refi it. Mm-hmm. And so I still, so from the refi, the extra cash I had, um, I think I actually used that first HELOC extra cash. I think I had a little bit of a note left on my van. I think I paid it off. Oh, yeah. And then when I refied it, I got some more cash out. I don't remember the exact amount. And um, uh, yeah, like you said, I uh, I owned a, a small percentage of a ranch uh, that was uh, passed down from my grandparents. All the grandkids owned a small percentage of it. And so I sold my share along with my siblings and got $80,000. Um, and that allowed me to do my next deal, which ended up being the biggest deal uh, we did. Um, the most important deal, I should say, that we did. Um, and um, so, on, on- yeah, so, so the, the whole access to capital thing. Yeah, yeah. so there's, there's ways to do it. I mean, uh, for instance, I was just meeting with a guy the other day who all he has done is, is rental arbitrage, mm-hmm. which is essentially getting leases on property. So you need zero capital up front. So, well, you need a little bit. But you get a lease on a property, yeah. on a listing, whether it's an apartment or a single family home, and then you sublease it. Yep. And so all you have to do is come up with the capital, maybe for the down payment of the lease. Yeah. And then you got to furnish it. And then you list it and you make it. So you could have eight, 10 listings. You don't own any of them. So you don't get to participate on appreciation. Yeah. You don't get to t- participate in some of the tax write-offs mm-hmm. you get from owning real estate. But as far as just, it's just a pure, it's a pure business. So it's a pure short-term rental yeah, business. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Not, not quite the model you and I are, are building, but it is this idea of, can I, can I still make something happen with very little? And well, you can yes. make a bunch of money yeah. and then you can go buy something. That's right. So That's you right. can make a bunch of money doing, you know, short-term rental arbitrage, essentially yeah, leasing yeah. subleases. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you could take the money you earn and go make a down payment on but, a home. But I mean, the people that are listening to this uh, podcast, like a lot of inheritance happen all the time. Getting inheritance, getting a, a um, you know, tax returns happen every year. 
sales and commissions happen all the time. This idea of when do I get a lump of sum being ready? You had a vision for when you got that amount of money, how to deploy it, what you wanted to do with it. Right. Did, so I feel like you already had a vision. If you didn't have a vision, we're down the vision, yeah. we're down this. And you had, and you got access to $80,000. You'd have to ha come up with a strategy. The fact is that you had a strategy before you went and went and uh, created that creative access to capital, but people, you know, I always thought, you know, people are getting two to $6,000 a year in, in, in uh, tax returns. Why don't you just pay off your mortgage? Why don't you save it up to create a nest egg to go deploy the capital? Like the, like finding access to capital is one thing. Understanding what my options to deploy the capital is a totally other, you know, thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, and there's other ways you can get money. I mean, and, and especially if you're a first time home buyer, there's some really good interest. There's some better interest rates, lower down payments, there's ways to get into a, a property, uh, especially if you're younger um, and you're a first time home buyer. So, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, we, so I actually already had the property picked out. I've been stocking this property, I've been hunting it. I'd already made offers before I even had the deal closed for the $80,000. That's the other thing, too, is finding opportunity where others don't see opportunity has to do with how committed you are to the process, to the, to, to the, the art or craft of short term rental prospecting. Yeah. And I could have, yeah. And, and the interesting thing too is, is I could have done another deal mm -hmm. with just the refi money mm -hmm. that I had and done a traditional loan. Yeah. But I had found a property that was a cash only deal. Yep. And cash only deals are typically cash only deals is because you cannot finance them. Yeah. They're in such bad shape mm -hmm. that the, no bank will loan you yep. on it. So until you bring it up to code, yeah. um, to being livable, banks will only loan on livable properties. Yeah. Because they want to know, worst case scenario, you can rent this thing out yeah. long term. Mm -hmm. So until you make it livable, a bank won't loan on it. So thus, the seller has to drop the price. So I found this property that, um, you know, I stocked it. I made offers. You know, it was listed at like 180. I made offer at like 115. Yep. Uh, they said no. The next month, they dropped it 10 grand. I made the offer again at 115. Yep. They said no. The next month, they dropped it ten grand. I made the offer again at one fifteen. They said no. <laughs> um, it took like six months, and eventually, I came back and said, "Okay." And, and for me, it was probably a good thing because I didn't even have the eighty grand yet. <laughs> I was like, "I was like, I'm making this offer, and I got to figure out how to That's close right. this thing." That's right. Um, which is, I mean, the whole loan process on these is like that was that, this was that was definitely the most stressful times for all of our deals. Was the loan process. Which, which there were months where you were just scouting and you had a deal, deals would fall through. Like you were playing a, a numbers game on prospecting like a traditional sales funnel. I need to have more options than I need, knowing that some will fall through. But you, you, were, you were making stuff happen before you were ready to access it because you didn't know what, what would come up, right? There's, yeah. it's, there's so much, not instability, but there's so much dynamics in real estate in general and let alone houses that are are the lower end of the price point, hopefully in the lower end of a price point, or that need work or or uh, can't be financed, right? Yeah, and obviously you have to you in order to get a deal in contract, you know, the seller wants to have some assurance yeah. that you can do it. So you're gonna have to show something. Yeah. You know, but I was always trying to finagle my way into these contracts. Yeah. And and knowing like I'm not trying to 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 lie to the seller, but I don't have a hundred grand sitting in my bank account. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, I can figure I'll figure out how to do this deal. Yeah. Look at my track record. Yeah. Every deal I've got in contract, yep. I've closed on. Yeah. I'm not some I'm gonna throw some people under the bus. I'm not some wholesaler that's like 
you know, playing some scammy game yeah. and is like trying to get a bunch of properties under escrow. And then if they can't, if they can't actually resell it, they're going to just drop you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drop the, drop the, drop the contract. Like, no, I'm, I'm actually trying to close this thing. I'm going to get, it's going to take me getting creative to do it. Cause yep. all of my deals, I had to get super creative to pull it off. Which I feel is a whole episode about the, cre- the, the process of uh, the creative process of getting a deal done. Yeah. That's and I'm going to grind and I'm going to make calls and I'm going to do everything I can to get this thing done. And most of my deals, like there was multiple times where I thought oh, I'm going to lose this thing. I'm not going to be able to pull it off. Yeah. Like every you other know? week you tell me that it's yeah. dead. Like there's de- it's dead. And then I'm like, no, I've got <laughs> it, another way. It's been, it's there's another loan product that might work, yes, you know? Yes. So, um, so one to two, two to three. So Butte Street was a big deal for you. And it was your technically your third. Li- it would be your become your third listing. Yeah, right? and the reason it was such a big deal is because it was. I ended up getting it at at one fifteen cash. Um, cash. Yep. Um, but it's a thirteen hundred square foot, two like oversized two bedroom, two bath. Yeah. Um, with kind of really cool potential, and I had to do a lot of work on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I ended up putting in like sixty grand. Yeah. And a ton of my labor. Oh yeah. Um, into this thing. Um, but at the end of the day, it was, it's a, it turned out to be a really awesome property, but, um, you know, it needed a lot of work. Yep. And so, you know, you couldn't get a loan on it so that, you know, a lot of buyers are just out, Yeah. you know, so you had to be able to remodel it. Mm-hmm. You had to be, you know, either a contractor owner builder like myself who could pull it off. Yeah. It was a contractor special. Yeah. yeah. And so I ended up getting a great deal at it. I, I made them, you know, they, you know, they wanted to get out of it. And couldn't find a buyer, and I was the only one making offers. Yeah, and so they eventually sold it to me. And I made some, I made it. I made a great offer. My last one, you know, I, I said I'll do twenty thousand dollars, like earnest money down. Meaning, if I pull, if I pull out, um, they can keep the money with no contingencies. Wow. So, so usually you have contingencies, like, and if you if you don't hit the, you can pull out before that contingency yeah, yeah. date passes. But I did no contingencies, so I'd already seen it. Yeah. So I knew what I was getting. Yep. And I was like, I'm gonna take this on. Yep. If you say yes, we'll closing in ten days, like no loan, straight cash. Yeah. Twenty thousand dollars down, like, and so they ended up saying yes. That, yeah, I, I bet they did. So you, there's ways to get creative to still get the price point you want, but making them feel more comfortable. They didn't want to agree to a hundred fifteen thousand dollars price point unless they knew they were going to sell it. Yeah. Because if I backed out and word got out, yeah, for sure, then that's all they're going to get. So, so you came in and you know you had that eighty thousand dollars come in, and that took care of a lot of the purchasing of it. How did you free up cash to remodel Butte? I had it from Woodhill. You, you, you from the remodel and the refinance yeah. from Woodhill. Got so it. I had enough to do the purchase and remodel of Butte Street. And how long it take you to remodel Butte? Thousand. Mm-hmm. Took a property that was worth one hundred fifteen thousand. And you refinanced that at what new value? So I put in 60. So I was all in at like 185. And so the interesting thing is you can't, when you buy a, when you buy a property and you remodel it. So now you're after repair value. Yeah. You can't get a new appraised after repair value for six months. Okay. So I had this kind of window where I got this thing done. I think it only took me like two and a half months, but I can't, can't actually, pull, can't pull money off it. Yeah, I pull. I actually, we finished the upstairs, so me and the girls can move in. So we moved into the upstairs. We were still remodeling downstairs. So and, we moved in like after like a month, and that's month and, and, and that's a, that's an interesting. And the upstairs, kind of a funky layout, right? It had one bedroom upstairs. 
It had like a, a like a eating nook. It had, it had a kitchen, and then it had this weird closet pantry thing, like off. an oversized closet. Yeah, oversized pantry. It was an oversized pantry. And what did what did you do to get creative to move your family in there? Yeah, I had these. Yeah, at this point, two young girls. I don't know what age they were. Probably like three and one, or no, no, they were older than that. It was probably like two, two and two, two, two and two, four, yeah. Yeah, something two like four. that. But they were sleeping on their own, sleeping in their own room together. And so it had this kind of cool raised, like, kind of nook area in the yep. back. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we, I painted the whole thing and we put, like, little glow-in-the-dark stars, like, all over the ceilings and the yeah. walls. And I put a mattress in there. Yeah. And so we, we built this mattress and there was, like, a ladder to climb up to it. So it was kind of, like, rad, like, treehouse style you bed. Made, you made a kid crash pad out of a closet. Yeah. And you moved into it. Yeah, and I and I put like hung like on the wall. I put like you know all these like clothes racks, and you made it fun. Right? It was super cool and super rad, and it's still there, and people still use it. That's so cool today. And and you finished the downstairs, right? Yeah, and so we yeah we ended up finishing downstairs. We had a friend move into the downstairs for that four, four or five months. Yeah, when yeah. we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she lived downstairs, which had kind of like a, a door and some stairs that separated. It had a separate entrance as well yep. downstairs. So it was kind of like a detached unit yep. um, or, or, or uh, attached, but, you know, separate entrance unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so she lived down there. I kind of made a little semi kitchenette for her full bathroom. Yep. Um, so that was like another little form of income. Mm-hmm. We were just living in like the 700 square foot upstairs. Um, and then she'd come up, we'd have dinner, like, you know, she kept things in the, which is another house hack, right? It's yeah. this idea of you've had friends come and, and rent from you during this time where you have to wait, wait out your, your equity bill. Right. And it's really what it is. Totally. So, you, so you sprint. So the, the lifestyle of a short-term rental operator who's building their portfolio is a lot of sprint and then maintain. And so you think of this, um, you know, it's called, you know, punctuated equilibrium where you come up, you, you actually raise up really, really quickly. And then you you figure out a way to maintain that and you grow into it. You increase your capacity, which is hard. Uh, it takes a lot of effort. You're going into a lot of the unknown. You're, stre- you're being stretched. You're tired. You're working long days. But once you get it set up and it's at a place where it can actually rent or you can move into it, you rent out your last property, it's a lot of maintenance, right? And you actually use that to recover from the process. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that Butte build, like that was a summer project. Yeah. It was hot mm-hmm. here in Reading, super sun exposed. You know, a lot of the time I was spent was doing outdoors. We had to do a ton of like landscaping work yep. and like earth moving, retaining walls to kind of like fix some of the issues they had. We we brought, well, I had some goats at my house and we walked them eight blocks from oh, yeah. across the neighborhood into your backyard and had yeah. the goats eat your creek. Yeah, they were eating all the brush yeah, that yeah. was like built up. That was awesome. I love those goats. Smoky Blade and Oh, I don't know. The girls named them. Day. I don't know what it was. My daughters will listen to this and tell me later. Yeah, I love them. But, um, but that six months actually changed well, the trajectory for you. Yeah, and I was actually – so I, yeah, I didn't finish that thought on – so you're not able to do an after-repair value refinance for six months mm-hmm. from the purchase date. Okay. So from the date of purchase, I had to wait six months, but I'm done with the project and I wanted more capital yep. because I had a couple more deals I wanted to do. Yep. So what I ended up doing is I, so I own the whole thing in cash. Mm-hmm. So I got an appraisal done at it and it appraised at like 312 or something like that. Wow. Okay. So I'd already, you know, increased the value of the home by, you know, Syrian 180, a hundred and I don't know, $30,000 yep. or something like uh-huh. that. Yeah. 
Um, so like one hundred and thirty thousand dollars in six weeks. Yeah. So you create one hundred sixty thousand dollars for yourself in six weeks. I just want I just want to harp on that one hundred thirty thousand dollars a little bit. Two months. So okay, two two months. Two months. Not very many people make one hundred sixty thousand dollars in two months. Yeah. So it's it's yeah it's awesome. This yeah. deal was awesome. Yep. This deal to the, so so then I think the total amount Butte Street has paid me like cash out is like three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. For sure. So this deal was is is a great burr mm-hmm. property. Um. So so what I what I ended up doing was I got a HELOC. Yep. So I didn't have any mortgage. You can still get a HELOC on something if you have no mortgage. So I got a and a HELOC they don't care about after repair value. Great. All that matters is what's it worth. And so they lent me, uh, they did me, they gave me a HELOC for $150,000. Which was the max I'm assuming they could give you? I don't know. I don't remember exactly. I think... 150000 I mean, it was, it was more than the purchase price, it be, but... It would be like 45% of your uh, loan to value. Yeah, I might have been able to do more, but it was pretty yeah. easy to get that. Got it. Okay. Based on what it was. Um, and so I got the 150, which is what I needed because I wanted to do two deals. I bought another home in Reading, downtown core, right? Yeah. Center street. Yep. And so I was going to remodel that home. And that one had a detached garage that I was going to do an ADU it. And then I also, with a partner, we bought a home in a single family home in Mount Shasta. So to recap the timeline, you, you went from a single family home, one property to an ADU on your primary to go two doors. Then you bought Butte, which was three doors. Mm-hmm. You refought, you, you got a HELOC on your first house and now the second, second house Butte. And you already had lined up two additional deals yeah. to deploy that capital with. So I needed that 150 to get those close on those other two deals. Yep. Um, and, and yeah. And once again, really hairy loan processes, but I got both of those closed. And those are two different deals. One of those was a single family home with that detached garage, which you were, you already had plans to turn that one door into two. Yeah. And then the second deal was a, a house in Mount Shasta, which is actually a partner deal. Yes. Right? Cut. Yeah. All right. And so we closed on those two and uh, started working on them. Um, uh, our partners on the, uh, uh, the one in Mount Shasta um, we worked on that one together. We all had different roles in it. There's four of us, uh, two couples, and we each had different roles in it. Um, and, uh, you know, so I worked a lot on the remodel side of it mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. Um, and then I also was managing the remodel side of the center street house, yeah. which was, uh, the one in Mount Shasta was like a thousand square foot home. Um, it, it had a bunch of work. It, you know, it had been a grow house. Nice. Like a marijuana grow house. We yeah. had to tear out a bunch of that. And um, so it was like a full remodel project. And then the Center Street house, um, yeah, another full remodel project, you know, new windows, new floors. I was able to save some kind of original doors and certain hardwood floors, which, refinish them. Which and, usually you've done on most of your properties. Yeah, I try to save everything that's worth saving. If it, if it's cool, quirky, if it has character, you, you usually try to reincorporate yeah. it. Yeah, take my vibe and mm-hmm. then, and then uh, kind of adapt it. To yeah. the house, which your vibe is more uh, industrial slash uh, modern, yeah, would be a, your your vibe. Absolutely. Um, okay. Um, so yeah, did both of those, um, and then so there was enough money there uh, to do both of those uh, and the Center Street ADU, and the and the Center Street ADU you did fat you pre- did pretty fast. 
and you bought that one. And that was, that was the one that was on the bike path on the path of progress for downtown. Yeah. We knew that there was a big construction project going on in your street. So they repaved it. They put lights in, they attached it to the, uh, the 18 plus mile bike, uh, bike loop track around our city. And so you, you bought that and you didn't turn around or you, you got the renovation done and, and converted ADU in a pretty good record time, but that was right as construction started. So you didn't currently, you didn't immediately rent it out to renters. No, we moved in. So we actually moved from the, the Butte Street house where we were living. Yep. And because one of the things like with loans is when you're getting the loan, yeah. you can get a better rate if it's a primary loan. So, so I needed in order to close the center street deal. Yeah. I had to get a primary loan, which means you need to live there, which means you need to live there. Yeah. Um, so, so that's part of it as well as the loan process. So I moved into center street house yep. once we finished remodeling it mm-hmm. and we hadn't quite finished the, uh, ADU. So we finished it at once we were in there. So I'm, I'm sensing a trend and just in this timeline from your primary house to now your third single family house that you bought, you, you and your family moved. Now this is the third time you've moved. I'm not talking from DC back, but in the course of like probably six 10, months, yeah, yeah, probably, probably six to nine months or so you, you actually transitioned you and all of your possessions and your family three different times. Yeah. Right. So that's part of the sacrifice and the cost that you, you counted and you're signed up for before you started the journey. Right. Yeah, and, and it definitely, I mean, you, you put new furniture yeah. in each unit, mm-hmm. you know, so we didn't, I mean, we, we've kind of shuffled furniture around yeah. across units, but largely we're buying new furniture and we were on this journey like, hey, we're just going to move into this new place with the new furniture, yep. leave our existing furniture in the original house because yeah. it, it needs it, if it's, if it's you know, house, it needs yeah. it to rent it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we were mostly just moving, you know, our clothes we didn't, we weren't even moving the kitchen stuff, Yeah, yeah. you know, so you're moving clothes, your personal possessions, you know, uh, you know, sports equipment, yeah. things like that. But we still had part of our garage at our original house, which still, we kept a lot of stuff in because yeah. these other two houses I bought, there wasn't garages. That's an interesting point too. Well, one of the garages I converted. So, well, but that's a point too, of there, the, if you're buying properties with garages, leveraging your own property as your st- personal storage units, to ship appliances to hold to to hold furniture that oh, are in yeah. transit, right? So you didn't have to go rent out a storage unit. I don't think you ha- you might have had. No, right? I never had. But you're, that's another way too of being creative. We're not not having to tap on the ADU, the primary house. They were still performing and making you money, and you had this transitional spaces that you found kind of traditional nooks and crannies within your portfolio to stay leveraging for, from a lifestyle perspective. Yeah. I mean, you can go, we can go out in my garage today where we're at here and it's full for, I've got a whole unit. At one point I had three, we're down to one unit left of furnishings. As soon as this last unit's done, you know, it's going to go in there. So yeah, I've always kind of done that. I've, I've looked at like at different points. Um, you know, we've bought in some outdoor kind of like containers for like kids, kids, toys, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I, there's been a couple times I considered buying some of those like sheds, yeah, yeah. you know, sheds. from like Home Depot, things yeah. like that, like to store bikes or stuff mm-hmm. like that. I haven't ever had needed to pull the trigger because I've just found a way yeah. to kind of store stuff, move stuff. Yeah, there was times we were in Center Street, like half the living room was just packed full That's of boxes. True. Boxes and or just storage, right? Yeah. And, you know, my kids, like for the last couple of years, like their favorite game still to this day. 
to play is whenever we get a whole shipment of stuff, yeah, they take all the boxes and they combine them and make this whole like fort. Oh yeah, like totally. box forts. Yeah. They're like, let us keep the boxes. And then our whole house is like covered in boxes. And I'm like, all right, one more week. Well, it's, and then I'm getting rid of all of it. It's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be strange too, because I mean, this this house that we're in now, your primary, I mean, your kids are not gonna have the same sort of transitory life they had in the last couple of years growing up. So their box their box quota is gonna go down a lot. Well, I don't know. You're, still, you're, still you're, high. you're still gonna buy. I it, still right? store all yeah, of yeah. everything here. You know, that's true. So. so so it sounds like you played both the refinance game and the HELOC game uh, like a fiddle. Too. And you, you probably pressed the limits, found the limits and pressed the limits about what, what banks and credit unions would allow you to do mm-hmm. um, to hopefully saturate all the excess capital that you had available to you to leverage. Like, I feel like you're yeah. always looking for capital. And, and, and we've, we've talked to hard money people. We've talked to friends and family. Like We've explored a lot of options to create, hopefully create options if we need it. But you've always leveraged the equity that you've created and the value of creating your own property. Those two themes, those those two seem like the two big tools that you use, the HELOC and then the refinancing to free up free up money. Yeah, cash out refinancing. So cash out refinancing, which, which costs a little bit more. Yep. There's a little bit more of a you know a couple more points that you get hit with on the loan. Mm-hmm. And and this was all to put this in context. This all took place over COVID. Yeah. So one of the things, like I think, starting with the Butte House, once we bought the Butte House, our mindset shifted. Yeah. Our mindset shifted to. Wow, like this is such an opportunity what we bought here yeah. and what we can do. Let's attempt to become financially independent. So you grew into that vision. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't until we bought that one where, you know, there was like such an opportunity yeah, yeah. with it that it was like we can make this happen. And we saw the numbers yeah. of like what we could rent yeah. our house for at Woodhill, what our rent yeah, Woodhill yeah, house yeah, yeah. was renting for, yeah. you know, what our ADU was renting for. We're like Honestly, we're not that far off from being able to pull from this covering off. Covering your nut, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so we're like, if we get a couple more, and that was what the Center Street and the Mount Shasta house purchases were. Yeah, was like, let's get over the hump. So you went. So now in in your timeline, um, it, after the center, after the Center Street and the Mount Shasta ADU, you're up to six doors. Is that right? Two, three, four, five, six. So you're at six doors plus a van. Yeah. And, uh, and then from there you refinanced middle or did you refinance Butte? No, um, Butte. So, um, so yeah. So, so one of the things that was awesome about this time period, you know, for those of you who were, you know, even paying attention to the real estate market during COVID was interest rates were super low. Yeah. Right. Interest rates were dropping. So like my original loan on Woodhill from like 2014, was like a 4.3% loan, which was great yeah. at that time. And and today now, that's a great loan. Today. Um, but rates got down into the twos, yep. like sub twos. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've got a 1.99% loan on the Mount Shasta house. Nice. Like there was some crazy interest rates. So I, I through this time, I was able to get um, refi everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and money was super cheap. Yeah. You know, if you're getting money at two, 3%, like yeah. take everything you can. Which that's interesting. <laughs> you know, that was my mentality. So, like so, take everything I can. So, I mean, controlling the controllables, you know, at, you know, your level of excellence, your work ethic, your planning, your strategy, your passion's one thing, but timing and timing of the market is a whole nother thing yeah. that sometimes you, you, 
you need more cash on hand, right, to get into it versus you didn't have a ton of cash on hand and you're able to work the timing and the seasonality of what the market and the economy was doing and you maximized it to get yeah, I Yeah, I was super fortunate yeah. to hit the timing right mm-hmm. when we did. Um, but that's what was happening in COVID. They were trying, you know, the government was trying to, the Fed was trying to stimulate growth yep. and people doing things in COVID, which is why interest rates were so low. Uh-huh. And so I was doing the things, you know, they wanted us to do. It, it, but I mean, on that note too, it also spurned on this builder economy and everyone's at home. And so they're seeing all the defects in their house. And so they're, they're hiring contractors and all the labor costs go up and all the material costs go up. Like, there's, there's effects of oh, yeah. that that you also had to deal with throughout your, your build process, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah, we played that game and yeah, timing is right. And, and also we were fortunate to live, you know, here in Northern California yep. where there was a lot more freedom of movement yeah. than there was in places like the Bay Area yeah. or Los Angeles. Yep. Um, so I could still go to Home Depot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And get supplies. Yeah. I still had people willing to come and work. Yep. Um. And additionally, like from the short-term rental market, like people were still coming up here yeah, yeah, because they were so stuck in their homes, you know, down in the Bay Area. There's a lot more freedom of movement up here. We have a ton of like open public land yeah. up here in Northern California. Yep. And so people could just go out on their own trail yeah. and socially distance. Totally. On the trail, yeah. at the lake, you yeah. know, have their own space and actually get outdoors because there's not a, there's not as many people up here. So we took advantage of our surroundings, which was great. It was yeah. a great COVID place, mm-hmm. yeah. and so we had people willing to come, yep. which is renting out the units I have, yeah. making more money, mm-hmm. allowing me to keep doing deals. I mean, it, it was it was incredible to see the momentum that not only you and Holly got in from a mindset perspective, but just the amount of like you you were working. 10 hour days and, but you'd still get up the next morning and being like, yeah, I'm going to go up again. I'm going to do it again. Like you, you had momentum on your life going on there. Right. Yeah. And, and to think about it, like looking at the days, I mean, the Butte, the Butte house days were, you know, hot summer, you know, we're talking hundred, 110 degree days. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of those days, like I'd go over there super early in the morning. I wake up like four o'clock and go hammer it. And I get home at like, you know, nine, 10 o'clock. And I just remember there's days I'm sitting at like Ace Hardware, like picking up concrete <laughs> bags. I just like lay down on the concrete bags and buy the little ice cream bar they have and just like eat that ice cream bar, you know, just like savoring yeah. it. Yeah. Like, but it was amazing. Like, but I did it for, it was, it was just like a few months of it. Yeah. And then, like you said, like the great thing about this business is if you're not if you're not flipping and yep. you're not trying to just sell everything, once you do the work on a property, yeah. you own that property indefinitely. That's right. And you don't have to do the work again. Mm-hmm. Sure, you might have to do some maintenance, you yeah. might have to do some work on it, but the bulk of the model work yeah. to dial in these properties and force appreciation. And if you're gonna play the appreciation and refi game, yeah. you gotta force some appreciation. We do. You yeah. might get lucky yep. and appreciation was going up here in this area because people were moving here. But all of my properties, I forced a lot of the appreciation. So let's let's land this plan. We have two more properties uh, in your journey, right? And so um, you're at six doors now. You refinanced again, and that that that. Uh, so, so I refinanced. So after six months, I was able to refinance Butte. Yep. And then and then it's the the last big. All right, this the we're in the last big purchase that you did, but. The next one you did was the lodge and the lodge was unique because out of the box, it was not traditional. It's not necessarily in a a single family home. 
people weren't necessarily, it wasn't a hot commodity on the market, but you found a dilapidated ski lodge in Mount Shasta that had a specific zoning to it that allowed you to turn it in from a old lodge motel into a short-term rental. Is that right? Yeah, mostly. Um, so yeah, we were super bullish on Mount Shasta based on the first year we'd had or, or the f- early returns from, uh, we got our, our house rented, uh, our single family home on the market, like over the winter yeah. up there in 20, what's that? 21? No, 2020. 2020? Okay. Yeah, 2020. The first 2020 winter. And it did really, really well. And so, and that was part of like kind of the COVID like, boom up Effect. here yeah. for short-term rentals, mm-hmm. you know, people coming up. And so it did really, really well. And we are like, we really liked the Mount Shasta market, more of a mountain destination town, vacation yeah. rental. And so we had a great kind of cross of like different types of properties here in Reading. We had more flex properties. Yeah. We had one vacation home here in Reading, but a lot of like flex ADUs, mm-hmm. two bedroom units that could be work units. Yep. Um, and then we had a, a really good single family home up there. And so we wanted something else up there in Mount Shasta. And we were looked and looked at a bunch of stuff. And uh, like you said, we had a bunch of stuff we were looking at that didn't work out, but found this uh, really cool old ski lodge that came on the market. Uh, a family had built it um, in the 1950s, really kind of a cool story behind it. A uh, guy that helped build the ski park, um, uh, the original ski lift. Uh, up on uh, old ski bowl at Mount Shasta. Um, and he built this as like, it was, it was kind of the closest thing um, as far as housing uh, to that lift. And it was, it was originally like a restaurant and a bar. And then they had some lodging and I've heard stories about this place. It was like the party spot. Yeah. Um, and then once old ski bowl shut down, they had, it got avalanched out um, in like the sixties and they converted it into apartments. Yep. So it, it and they added on to it. So this was like non, you know, before permitting existing, permitting didn't exist. And this is up in Siskiyou County until, you know, the seventies. Yeah. Um, and so this was pre-permitting from the fifties, but they built it awesome with all this really cool, big, like beams and yeah, posts yeah. and like tongue and groove cedar um, ceilings and walls. And so just like, you know, pecky cedar sided the entire building. Yeah. Um, and they, they kept adding on to it. So super funky, but yeah. really big units, mm-hmm. you know, some of the biggest, the biggest one I have now is, is, you know, 20, 2000 square feet. Wow. You know, and the smallest ones, you know, like 400 and there's a lot in between. And how many units are on that? On that? So it's eight units. Yep. So it's an eight unit. Uh, it was essentially being used as an apartment building, but it originally was built as a short-term lodge. Did you have uh, eight units when you bought it or did you convert? It had eight units. I, I shifted... Uh, some of the usage. So I made one unit a little smaller, one unit a little bit bigger, but all the other, the rest of it, they stayed the same. And you went in uh, from, I was a partner deal as well. Yeah. So it was a partner deal, but really interesting. And this is where you really got to do your homework. Like you can find from a short-term standpoint, there's interesting different categories out there. Yep. We, We could do We should do a whole episode on that. But this was essentially, how do I take a multifamily yeah. and turn it into short term. Because an apartment building, if it's zoned apartment, you cannot short term. It depends on, depends on your city. Yep. Check with your city, check with your municipality. But where we live, you cannot short term rent that. That's only 30 day rentals. But because this was originally built as a lodge and it actually was in a neighborhood that 
it was zoned commercial neighborhood. Yeah. So there's other things on the other commercial units on the property. There's mm-hmm. like an old, the old crystal geyser bottling plant. Yeah, there's yeah. a sheriff's office. There's like a mill, like there's other commercial things on the street. And so we made the pitch before closing on the deal to the County. It took, this was a lot of back and forth. You know, we found a zoning code for essentially a boarding house uh, that you can do in, mm-hmm. in, um, commercial neighborhood. You can't do hotels, you can't do motels, but you can do a boarding house. And so we made the argument, this was built before before zoning, zoning yep. existed, before permits existed. Yep. And what it most accurately depicted of the potential of the possible uses is boarding house. Yeah. And they agreed with us. And a boarding house you can either short-term rent or long-term rent. Yeah. And so we had our we got our permit our business license as a boarding house. Solid, yes. Um, and we can short-term rent it. And so one of the things that we were going after with this, and this is a really great, important thing, you got you to gotta know your area and know the regulation there is and know what's coming. Yeah. So Mount Shasta has had a lot of conversations about regulation in the short-term rental industry. There's been a lot of talks and nothing has been officialized at this point, but... Um, They've been talk about uh, limiting the supply of potential short-term rentals to a fixed number, like 2.5% or yep. 3% of the total inventory, totally removing it from residential areas. And so part of the play of the lodge was, hey, if we can get eight units yeah. that are big units, these aren't these yeah. aren't hotel rooms. Yeah. These are full-size units there's, with full kitchens. studios or like multi- One of them's a three-bedroom. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, two of them are three-bedrooms. Yeah. Um, if we can get those... And then they actually regulate yeah, yeah. and eliminate a ton of the short-term for rentals. Sure. I mean, we're going to get to name you're, our price. You're already in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and we're not regulated by single family short-term rental permits because that's not what this is. Well, it's still, it's still supply and demand too. And if your county only has a limited number of the supply, then whatever happens, you're going to be either grandfathered or, or counted within that number. You just set yourself up. But cap, the nice thing about this, it's totally outside of that. Yeah. This yeah. is a boarding house. It's yeah. not even the same type of zone interest. And so, so that was part of the play with this and, and to be determined, you yeah. know, of, of see what happens up there. They haven't done anything, That's but regardless as a short-term rental, and now we've got seven of the eight done, we're finishing the eight, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, uh, and have it listed. Um, the numbers have been fantastic. Yeah. You know, the numbers are crushing, um, and they're doing really, really well. Uh, we did four models in them. And um, now we've got eight units on one property um, in this really cool, unique space yep. that, um, you know, to other people wasn't worth that much. But to me, I mean, it's, it's just where, where this waiting goal. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, and that takes you to, to, 15, or to 14 listings. Um, and now we're actually sitting in the guest house on your primary residence. And so just kind of the, the, the story arc of, of lifestyle leveraging and inconvenience, can inconvenience yourself for the sake of a dream of freedom. Um, you know, you and your family moved into smaller and smaller spaces to uh, houses under construction, to streets under construction, um, all to, uh, you know, getting to a point financially where you guys were getting very close. During this portion, you also decided to stop taking your W-2 and transition to a lifestyle of, of, of owner operating and manager. Of yeah, that was at the beginning right? of 2021. So it took us like one year, yep. less than one year 
to, to, to drop our W2. And the last uh, listing, which would make it from one to 15 listings, is the guest house we're sitting in right now on, on the other side of your primary residence. Is that right? Or this? Yeah. yeah. And so this is you know, valued at over a million dollar house we're sitting in. And so this idea of going from starting with what you have, what you have access to, understanding your area, understanding yourself and your goals and what you want to accomplish and what you're willing to sacrifice, you, you and your family, to the, to the average person, have sacrificed a ton of convenience. You've, you've, you've done a lot of sacrifice to get, uh, to get to where you're at now. But it also positioned you in the timing of the markets, right? But it positioned you to actually have a much bigger dream house than you had at Woodhill when you started. And so you started the journey thinking that, you know, your first house, you bought your dream house and it had a pool and this house has a pool, had a whiskey room, but you bought a house and part of the, part of the, almost like a requirement I think you have now is, well, what about this property are we able to leverage and always thinking through that lens. And so the way this house is set up has a beautiful main house and it has this kind of courtyard with a pool and it wraps around, not only in a full, a full, you know, U shape, but on the other side of the yard, it's actually an attached via the garage. I don't know how big this space is, but it's like a, a thousand square foot, a, two bedroom guest house, a thousand square foot guest house, which is not an ADU, no. but this, you rent this out as a, a 16th listing. And if you, if you travel, your primary house becomes a 17th listing. So we're not even saying that because that's outside of the one year, but even, even your new, your new, bigger enhanced dream house, you always look at is what can I leverage? But you guys made, made a financial decision to not continue to invest in multiple two, three more properties, but invest in this one. Why did you choose this house? Um, Why did you choose to change the way you were living and buy this dream house? Yeah, 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 really good question. And and just before I jump onto that, I just want to say, I don't think we touched on with the lodge. When I went and looked at the lodge, um, I knew immediately its potential. Yeah. Uh, I looked at it with my real estate agent, Todd, who'd been my real estate agent for all of my transactions. Shout out to Todd. Yeah, there you go, buddy. Um, and immediately, I, you know, I turned to him and he knows when I'm serious about a property. Yeah. Because I'm like, let's go. It's like, I got to have this. Let's go. Like, let's do this. Yeah. And, and I said, I got to do this, but I don't have money. Yep. Like, I was like, I can refi Butte, um, but I'm not going to have enough. Yeah to do it. I, I could get another 80 K yeah. off the butte refi at that point. Um, and so, and so he was like, actually, and he never said this to me before on another property. He's like, I'd go in on it with you. And my dad would too. Yeah. Um, so him and he was like, yeah, me and my dad have been doing some investing together. We want to do another deal. And so by the time we got back to, to Reading, we kind of had a, a, a working agreement in place and, they brought more of the capital to the project to purchase it and remodel it. And then I brought the expertise. Yep. And, and to this point, he'd seen me do this. Yeah. You know, he'd been with me on the process of closing all these deals. He'd watched me rent them out. He saw the kind of returns I was getting. So yep. he knew, yeah. you know, my business probably better than just about anybody else. Yep. And so he had obviously had trust and belief in me that we could do this. And so we partnered with them and, and, so that's another way, like when you run out of capital, yeah. there's other ways, you know, and, and, and now I've even learned a lot more about, about, um, you know, how to raise money for deals and yeah. you can do a syndicate, you yeah. can raise a fund, yeah. like you could get an individual investor, but, but structure it more as like an investor and with a, with a, a guaranteed return with a pref and promote model. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different models you could do. Yeah. Um, uh, 
in order to essentially get access to more capital mm-hmm. if you need it, if you've built up the expertise. Yeah. They want to see that you can do it first. Yeah, for sure. And now I've got my whole systems dialed yep. um, and I can show the returns that I'm getting on yep. all my existing properties uh, in order to, to, to create the track record that demonstrates the ability to do this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we were still living at this point in Center Street, you know, last summer. Which is a one and a half bedroom house. <laughs> What, we'll yeah, say two it's, bedroom. it's two, two bedrooms. Bedroom. It's, it's a small second bedroom. Yeah, yeah. But that's that house is just like it just gets so sun baked. Yeah, it does. And I painted it dark gray, which I do to all my properties. Yeah. But it also um, had aluminum siding. It does. It was a so, metal sided yeah. house. Oh man, that house got hot. Um, which was great. I mean, we just spent a ton of time outdoors. Yeah. You know, we spent with you guys a ton of time yeah. at yeah. Whiskey Town or the river. You know, swimming to people's houses. Totally. Yeah. You know, Breaking into our friends' houses when they weren't there, yeah. swimming in their pools, like oh, creative. it was awesome. Yeah, um, and so it was, it was an amazing summer. Um, and then, uh, you know, we weren't really looking necessarily. Well, actually, that's not true. I told Holly at that point, you know, looking at our current income, I said, "Hey, we can buy a house. Yeah, for us, mm-hmm. we can't move back to Woodhill, our yeah. original house, because yeah. it does too well. Yeah, but we can buy a house for." more of a long-term house. Yep. And so I said, let's pick your, pick your favorite neighborhood. Yeah. Give me three. And so she gave me her three favorite neighborhoods um, in Reading, which we knew Reading really well yep. by this point. Mm-hmm. And, and one of them, I was like, I'm not doing that one. Yeah. So I was like, okay, the other two. So we started shopping in those two. We started looking at um, everything. We were looking at, you know, remodel projects, which yep. obviously we're really familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just entering in the remodel process with the lodge. So we were like, do we really want to do another remodel yeah, project yeah. on our personal house? So we were even looking at stuff that was already done. We were looking at land deals. Like, yeah. should we just build something from scratch? So we were kind of across the board, yeah, like all over the place. And this house that we're you know sitting in now came on the market for about a half a million over what yeah, are, what, what we were do. looking at but when i started running the numbers and 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 it started to become clear to me that this was the best deal yeah because you know i know what i can get for a two bedroom one bath yeah. with a pool yeah um and when i looked at those numbers and i looked at you know uh what it would cost to close on this house and what my mortgage would be I started saying, okay, because it has this additional unit already done. Which the unit we're in is a two bedroom, one bath with a pool. With a a player pool. pool. And so I went to Holly and and we actually, I showed her the house, you know, originally when it came on the market. And because we we have friends that live in this neighborhood. And it was one of the things that attracted us to this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And we always uh, drove by this house. Yeah. Not always, but often when we'd come this route on the way out. It's definitely the show house. On the street. Yeah. And we, sure. we'd walk with them yeah. after dinner. We'd have dinner yeah. at their house and we'd walk around the neighborhood. We'd always look at it. Like not like just be like, that house is really cool. Yeah. yeah, it's like, cool. yeah. Uh, they, the people who owned it before, like it, they were, she was an interior designer, yeah. um, did an amazing job. Actually, my buddy Josh was the contractor on this. Nice. Another buddy of mine, Ryan was the architect. Yeah. Like, so we, we, we had heard about this house. Um, and it was beautiful, like yeah. really cool landscape design, like dry scape, drought yeah. resistant, yeah. you know, succulents and cactuses. And, yeah. They did, a um, job. they did a cool job. And so we saw it, but weren't like interested, obviously. Yeah. Um, but then they put it on the market and, um, 
I, you know, I showed it to Holly, we kind of laughed and, you know, I told Todd like, Hey, can we go see that house? And then at first they were like, you know, they weren't going to let us come see it because you needed to have a certain amount of money to see it. Oh, they didn't yeah. want anybody coming. Yeah. They couldn't afford it. Yeah. And, you know, he convinced the agent like, Hey, if these guys want to do it, they could figure it out. You yeah. know, like, so they let us come see it. And it was just kind of more like, Oh wow, this thing is amazing. Yeah. Like they did an awesome job. She didn't spare any expenses in remodeling it. Um, but then when I looked at the numbers, I was like, I can actually pay for the entire mortgage with this unit as a rental yeah. that comes with the house. That's right. So with yeah. the property, it's yeah. already done. Yeah. I just got to furnish it. Yep. You know, and then I can pay for the mortgage if we're willing to inconvenience ourselves yeah. by renting this guest house out and sharing the pool in the shared courtyard. Yeah. And I told Holly, I came to her and said, Hey, you know that house? It actually makes more sense for us to buy this house and cover our mortgage than to buy a $500,000 house yeah. and have to pay for the entire mortgage. Yeah, for sure. Because it doesn't have that makes sense. any guest house. Uh -huh. I was like, it actually makes more sense to buy the million dollar house. Yeah. And, and I said, but the agreement is like, if we're going to do it, we have to be able to commit to rent this guest house out for five years. Yeah. And it was just kind of a number I made up like, like, and actually we're now at a place where to level set expectations, right? Yeah. yeah just yeah. to be like, yeah. Hey, like this is going to be an income. This isn't like a one year thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and we may get to a point where, like I said earlier, if we are, are making enough money and can afford to pay yeah. more of the mortgage yeah. or all of the mortgage, if we want to do that, yeah. we can rent it less. Yeah. Or, you know, like I said, raise the price and rent less nights, Yeah, you know, because not as many people are going to pay that price. Yeah, for sure. And so if you are renting it, you're making more yeah. when you're renting it. So there's ways we can do that. But essentially, it's a great, you know, you got a whole new unit. Yeah. And we got the other unit free that we were living in. Yeah. So we got two units. Yep. So we actually ended up making more money. Yeah. So I, I was like, at the end of the day, I kind of joke and say, I couldn't afford not to buy it. You, you could, know? Yeah, you couldn't afford not to buy it, but you had to think differently about a million dollar price tag because a million dollars in, in Reading is it's not, a it's, lot. It's not a million dollars in the Bay area. Not it's not all. a million dollars in Southern California. Very different market. But I mean, yeah, to some people they're like, Oh, that's nothing. Yeah. You know? Or to they, Reading, it's like, that's a really nice house. It, yeah. It would be like a, a two or $3 million house anywhere else in a, in like a major city. But you, but you knew enough about the rental market. Like it was your insight into the short term rental operating game and the performance of your existing assets that you knew what to pro to how to properly value this guest house as a part of the overall property. And most people aren't going to have that lens. They're not even going to think two or three levels above their budget or their price range when they're going in, especially if they consider it a family home. And so, but this sets you up for a, a lot of really great hospitality, a lot of great hosting of family. Like it gives you a ton of options that you just wouldn't have had otherwise, right? Yeah, I mean, Holly's parents and my parents have both come and yep. we just block out yep. the guest house when they come and they have their own detached space. Yeah. You know, they can get some of, you know, my mom goes and gets like, you know, or she loves, you know, Baskin Robbins ice cream yeah, and yeah, fill yeah. it up and Starbucks. And so she has her own fridge. Yeah. And, just their own space, their own restroom. They're not sharing with like the kids yeah. in our guest house. So, I mean, not something we would actually pay for, but it's a bonus. It, it is, you know? it is a bonus. And I think the, the overall, you know, theme of, I don't, I don't believe in having a guest room in your uh, house. A guest room. I thought you were going like, to say you don't believe in Baskin Robbins. No, I don't believe fridge. in having a guest room because I think it's just such a waste of space. Yeah. 
Like for what? Yeah. For the few times someone comes. Yeah. Like Smart. kick your kids out of a room or something. Yeah. You know, like yeah. like don't waste the room. Inconvenience yourself a little bit. And I got that thing. Yeah, I just I don't like wasted space. You know, or wasted units. Or like wasted it's units. Wasted assets. So I mean, you the the story arc is that you you got financially free in in the course of twelve months. We're sitting in what potentially is a 16th and 17th unit list listing you could list. And that's not including your van, right? I mean, I always say that van is 0.5 too, but everywhere along the journey, you learned a little bit more about yourself, a little more about the market, a little more about the area, a little more about what you and your, 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 your partner is willing to tolerate uh, both from each other and also the circumstances about how much physical space you have to live in. Um, you've taken it one step at a time. And I think that you, you and Holly have been wise about setting your proper expectation for yourself and that you didn't go from a single family home to a million dollar home overnight. Like this is, this is a process that you took and the, and again, everyone's journey is different. Uh, but in your origin story, are you, are you currently looking, we talk about seasons of sprinting and building and seasons of maintaining and enjoying what you built, right? And so you build a house and then you get to live in the house. And the house is a metaphor for the portfolio of properties you have. Right now, what season are you in? Because you've had now, you, know, you took a, a big sprint for a year, but it's probably been you know 18 months or so since you started that point. Are you looking to do another sprint anytime soon? Yeah, that's a good question. And we are asking ourselves that. Um, we're finishing up the lodge yeah. right now, the mm-hmm. last unit. Um, you know, as I, like, as I go further, um, like I said, I do less of the work and hire people who do better jobs. We want more expertise on yeah. the properties now. Yep. Um, so I, I, I spend, I, I'm now at a point, um, with that project where I'm spending less time on the build side. Yeah. Um, you know, once we get it to listing, I'll be up there and hammer it out for a couple of weeks and, yep. and get it all done. But, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's questions. I mean, I did, uh, you know, kind of mess my back up a little bit, yep. you know, carrying around condensers, yep. you know, air conditioning condensers. Um, so there's things like, you know, and Holly's been like, Hey, you know, and I've said this too, like, I don't want to be a contractor, you know, through my life. Um, you know, but like, I'm open to things or being like, she's like, you know, just next time if we're doing a little better, you know, hire somebody to go pick all that stuff up for you. Well, that, and so that, there's, that's the point. The point, the yeah. point, the point is that you've earned, you've earned the margin that you've created in your property. Meaning that, um, you know, I think there's a whole episode to once you become financially freedom, how do you reinvest in yourself, in your body? So you start off with, with, with your health. Like how do yeah. I, how do I just get back to, level because I've depleted a lot of mental, emotional, relational, right? To get this up and running. But how do we reinvest in myself and my family so that I even want to do it again? Right. And so it has to be worth it for you long-term to continue to scale. Yeah. And we're doing that. Like we've, both of us have said like, Hey, we're really investing our bodies right now. Yeah. Like I've been going to physical therapy, you know, for my back all year, Mm -hmm. all of 2022, basically since February. Um, It's helped a ton. Yeah. You know, and I'm paying for that. You know, and, and, and now like Holly and I, we got a coach like for mountaineering, like we're doing a whole like mountaineering training program. Um, and, and so like, yeah, we're investing in our bodies. We're investing in things we love. You know, we have a ton of freedom to spend time with our girls, um, which is awesome, you know, to go on adventures, to do the trips we want to do, 
Um, we, we ended up, you know, we'll talk about this more. We ended up hiring Angela, yep. you know, who is our, uh, you know, operations manager. Yeah. You know, she manages our guest communication and cleaner management, um, which took a, a ton off our plate from the, on the, as far as a daily standpoint, but that was margin mm-hmm. that we had created that we we're saying, Hey, right. in order to create a better lifestyle, we're willing to spend some of this margin on another person and technology and people you've implemented, right? Which, which yeah. that's a whole conversation. Yeah. We've, yeah, we've definitely invested in some really good technology that helps us, you know, automate stuff as well. So what I'm hearing you say is we're wait, we'll wait and see. We're waiting, we're waiting and assessing to see. Yeah. We're, we're, the yeah, the market has changed yeah, a uh-huh. ton. Yep. You know, we're now, you know, likely in a recession, yeah. um, you know, housing, uh, um, Mortgage rates have gone up significantly, so buying power is way down. Yeah, um, I think there's some deals coming. We're currently, um, you know, we've 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 refinanced out of most of our HELOCs and have long term deal long term loans on everything. We have one uh, HELOC left that is a variable rate mortgage mm-hmm. that I'm currently taking every dollar of cash I've got and putting it back into it so that to pay down the loan. So we're kind of yeah. in this place right now where we're like. We are, um, to use the word of Eric, our buddy, who's a financial advisor, who I've also been talking with, um, uh, working with, um, you know, he says, build a moat. Yeah, He's yeah. like, hey, you've built something great. Now build a moat of protection good. around you yeah. so that nothing can touch it. Yeah. Um, because this last winter, like, uh, you know, uh, the winter wasn't as good as it has been, as it was in 2021 on the short-term rental standpoint. Um and, and we got a little tight, mm-hmm. you know, we got a little tight with cash. And yeah. so the plan has been all summer, just like, like squirrel away, like yeah. we're little squirrels, like yeah. summer's the hottest time for us. And we're just taking every dollar and storing it away. Either paying down debt or saving, right? Exactly. But that, and that's something, a longer conversation, cause we need to wrap it up. But this idea of becoming your own bank, you have enough property that's performing and you have, you're paying off your HELOCs and your refinances and, and whatever debt you have. And if, and your cash positive starts to become your, the, the, the revenue generator for your next property. And you don't need to rely as much on institutions to do it. Right. Yeah, potentially. And so, yeah, we're in this place right now of trying to figure out what that means. It's, you know, you can make a better return on cap on capital. If you yeah. take somebody else's money, Yes, you don't own as much of the deal, Yeah, but you can make a better return on it and you don't have to have it. And yeah. at this point with my experience, I can do that. Yeah. Uh, but do we want to manage a project where we're managing someone else's money um, and taking all that responsibility Ideally. and potential stress? Yeah. You know, or do we want to wait till we have enough? Yep. Or do we want to do any more at all? I mean, the whole question is like, you know, it, I think a really poignant question to ask for everybody to ask themselves is if you're trying to make money, what's the end goal of it? Mm-hmm. If the end goal is to become financially independent, okay, well, what are you going to do when you're there? Are you just going to keep grinding? Are you just going to keep working? Like, and if working gives you life and joy and, and maybe that's the case for me. If I'm like, actually, I really love doing these projects, which I do. Yeah. I just need another project. Yeah. You know, Holly might be like, well, just go buy another van and rent ours out and then work on that, you know, or like, or I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe we do another property, but we don't have to. And that's the whole key is like, we're at a point now where, and that's what feels really freeing. Yeah. It's like, we don't have to do anything. Most people never get the opportunity to truly assess their priorities and their values to see, to ask themselves whether they're living according to them. 
and, and short-term rental operating, yes, it takes a lot of work and most people don't do it in one year. Most people don't go from one lesson to 15, but that being said, some people do more. We have friends that do have done more than that in one year. We have a lot to no, know. I've done a lot less than that in three years, but that everyone's in a different journey, but create the moat, create the margin. The goal shouldn't just be to be free. It should be, all right, I'm free to then assess what my priorities and values are. Yeah. And the whole, the whole like financial independent retire yeah. early yeah. community, like the fire Reddit community. One of the things that's really interesting is I've kind of read and listened to different, you know, people talk from that community is one of the biggest issues that you don't think about until it happens uh, that occurs is people become financial independent and they're like, well, now what? The crap do I do with myself? Yeah. They're yeah. like, I, I, I worked so hard. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I lived in the spreadsheets yeah. and just hammered it. Yeah. Like in order to get financially free and you got it. Yeah. But then what do you do with your life? And there's yeah. like, if you hit that point and, and, and sure, there's going to be some shifting and transitions. You got to figure it out. Everybody's yeah. got to figure stuff out. Yeah. But if you don't have any idea of like what you want to spend that time with, um, you can easily like end up like depressed. Oh yeah, for you sure. Know? And so I think it's a really important thing to always be trying to do the thing you want to do, and um, you know, you know, working towards something yep. and having that like, okay, I'm doing this, but so that I can do this. Yeah, yeah, empowerment and freedom, right? So, uh, Christian, thanks for telling us your origin story, um, and and listeners, thanks for the comments and the questions. Keep them coming in. We want to know, you know, what part of this stuck out to you? Um, is there an angle that you're thinking about or you have more questions about? We'd love to talk about it. And thanks for the feedback on the first two episodes. Uh, it was very valuable to us as we continue to list out topics that are valuable for this community. Uh, with that, we are not financial advisors. We are not real <laughs> estate advisors. We're not legal advisors. We're just two guys that uh, think that short-term rental operating and the acquisition of properties is fun. Um, and the, a lot of these, you know, we're in process still about, we, we, uh, we drink whiskey and talk about a whole, whole ton of stuff um, because our journey is ongoing. This is the origin story, but you know, what's next for, for Christian and myself and our families, that's TBD. Uh, and hopefully you guys uh, have enjoyed it. Uh, keep again, keep the feedback coming along. Thanks for joining us on our journey. Episode three out for booking confirm. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye.